Episode 600 of Zen and the Art of Triathlon is brought to you in part by Amrita Bars. They make the best energy bars on earth. And now you can find them at Sprouts, the big grocery store full of all kinds of healthy stuff. Amrita Bars are made with dates and then seeds and a little bit of fat and cardamom to help soothe the stomach. And they are fantastic for fueling your workouts, for a nice snack that just feels good, and also to feel happy that you know that you are eating healthy. So check them out, Amrita Bars, A-M-R-I-T-A, Amrita Bars, at amritahealthfoods.com, and you can get 15% off your order with discount code ZEN. All right, let's get started with the show. Here we go. You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we take the world's most complicated sport and use the principles of Zen to try to simplify it down to make you a better athlete in the short term and a better person over the long haul. All right. This episode, we have some really cool stuff. We have an interview with Chris Kelly and Dr. Tommy Wood from Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And we do a Skype call where we go over my blood test results. And we do a, we had done a huge blood panel, and it revealed a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. For example, that I wasn't eating enough. Uh, that I might have some sort of issue with B12 and uh, vitamin D, and also strategies on how to eat more of the right stuff so that I have more energy while doing long course triathlon. It's a really interesting conversation, and I'm really honored to have them on the show. Uh, Dr. Tommy Wood, I believe I caught during the conversation that he went to Oxford and Cambridge, (laughs) so... We're in some pretty smart company here, and it's just a really fascinating interview, and it's going to lead you to a whole lot of questions about what you're doing and what you can do uh, even better. It's really neat. And let's see, we have news and a training log where I cover all kinds of interesting stuff, and yeah, just a really great episode all the way around. So let's go ahead and get started with some triathlon news. Here we go. All right, first up, we had Ironman Coeur d'Alene last weekend, and I don't have the results in front of me. My internet connection is down, unfortunately, but I do remember that I believe Heather Jackson won the whole race and uh, on the women's side, and she was, this might be her first ever Ironman win, and it was crazy, crazy hot. And on top of that, we have a Boulder coming up in a week or so. And the course there has changed from being flattish in uh, compared to last year. Uh, now it's going to be a lot more climbing. So I've got some friends that are going to go do that. And good luck to them. And going on right now is Ironman Frankfurt. By the time you get this podcast, it'll be over and done. So we'll see who gets the, uh, gets the podium in that one. But right now, the pre-race favorites are Caroline Steffen. 
and Sebastian Keenley. And Keenley won Kona last year. So let's let's see how how much effort he actually puts out. That's pretty cool. All right, on the gadget side, we have Garmin introducing a whole bunch of really cool a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Sorry, I had a little bit of ice cream. <laughs> Big ride today. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. They introduced the 520, and that's a bike computer, dedicated bike computer. It actually, I don't even think it has a triathlon mode. And I ride with the uh, Garmin 920 watch on my wrist, but while I'm on the bike, I have the 510, which is a dedicated bike computer, between my arms right up by my hands so that I have something to look at that's telling me what's going on without having, with 10 screens of data, without having to twist my uh, wrist all over the place and wreck while I'm, I'm trying to look at the uh, little watch screen with four screens of data. So that's uh, why you want a dedicated bike computer. And then you got backup data for your bike too, in case one of them fails during an Ironman that actually happens uh, kind of often. More often than you'd think. And the 520 is not a touch screen. It's got a better screen, apparently. Um, but And it's got Bluetooth uh, updating and all, all that good stuff that's, that's out there now. And live tracking, I believe. But uh, the big deal is that it has Strava integration. And what that means is Strava, if you don't know about it, Strava.com is a website that you can upload your GPS and wattage and heart rate if you want that as well uh, files to there and it's a social site that will compare your efforts versus versus anybody else's efforts over the same areas and then people make segments so it can be like a mile two miles three miles you know from this intersection to that intersection and then it keeps a tally of who's done the best and all your times just by your uploads so basically it's a racing platform or a workout platform uh, that is allows you to go out and race other people without them being there <laughs> anytime that you want. If you want to race somebody else's time at 3 a.m., that's fine. You can go do it. I don't suggest that, but you could, and it will compare your time versus everybody else's, and it's really, really neat. So Strava integration means that the bike computer will show you what you do is you favorite segments on Strava and then as you're riding along on your bike it'll warn you on the bike computer hey there's a uh, there's a segment that you like coming up and uh, you'll be there in just a uh, just a minute uh, just letting you know in case you want to race it and then uh, you get there and I guess if you I've yet to see this in person, how it operates. But if you say, yeah, I want to go and do this, then it'll calculate your time versus the uh, either, I guess, maybe your previous time or the best time or the king of the mountains time. That's what they call the fastest person or queen of the mountain. And that's really, really cool. I've found since Strava came along that my biking has improved a lot because if I'm feeling really good, then... I have places to go ride my bike uh, really close by that I can challenge myself and try to beat my old time or beat somebody else's time, and it's really nice. So it's not just coming to the new 520 Garmin computer. It's going to come to a whole bunch of their computers and with a software update 
uh, in Q3, third quarter of this year. So that's pretty cool. And this this uh, this other thing that they introduced, I think it's called Avaria, but it's a um, it's a radar sensor on the back of your bike. And it'll tell you on your bike computer if uh, there's a vehicle approaching from the rear. It'll start warning you, which is uh, really cool. And also, that people seem to be loving that. That's a big hit. And also, the Tour de France, Tour de France, as Bob Roll always says, is uh, started, did start today with just a time trial. I think it was a 12K time trial. So the guy that won it, Knocked it out in 15 minutes. <laughs> it was uh, dead flat, and I think he, they said he went 50 kilometers per hour, which is just absolutely nuts, and uh, that's apparently a record. But again, they said it was uh, dead flat, but it wasn't just a straight out. It was an out and back, which is uh, nice because that goes to show how... Um, you know, it wasn't tailwind the entire way, so that's good. And one last thing we need to mention before we get into our interview with Chris Kelly and Dr. Tommy Wood is an email from Chris Haig, well, about Chris Haig. And <laughs> this is from Billy. This is so good. I love getting emails like this. Dude! Exclamation point. So I'm out on my ride on the Queen K this morning listening to you in my ear. When all of a sudden, you and Mike Hermanson, that's the pro I interviewed uh, last week, start in about infinite. Awesome! Exclamation point. Always read exclamation points when people email them to me. I was actually drinking from my two-hour bottle of GoFar. That's Infinite's, uh, one of their blends that they make. As you guys were talking, so happy it worked for you. That's awesome. Oh, this is Billy that uh, sent me a private email and suggested I try Infinite, which actually, it works really well. Uh... Let's see. Also wanted to let you know that listening to you has finally paid off, double exclamation point. Ha! Just kidding. (laughs) I'm glad it's finally paid off. But seriously, I went and hired Chris Haig as my coach to get me ready for Kona via resident lottery. I'm not even close to really qualifying. That was in parentheses. And he is, and this is in all caps, awesome exclamation points. Great recommendation. Thanks for that. And also... I have been loving the Hornet juice, and he's calling it Herman juice. Dude, that's kind of creepy. Uh, on my longer workouts. Thanks for that, too. I'm heading over to your webpage for some more Herman juice now. <laughs> it's getting weird. That 30-pack didn't last all that long, smiley face. Uh, thanks for your awesome podcast and keeping me company on these long workouts. Best regards, Billy in Hawaii. All right. Yeah, so Chris Haig is a sponsor of the show, chrishagracing.com, and it's Hag, like the Hag, H-A-G-U-E, Chris Hag, and he is a wonderful coach. I absolutely love hanging out with Chris. He has just the best attitude and um, really just energetic and as inspirational, uh, super fast guy. I thought I was fast knocking out a 440 half iron man and, and, uh, he schooled me with a 420 <laughs> and knows a lot. He's, he's worked in a, um, he ran track in college and he worked in a triathlon shop and now he's a school teacher. So as far as how to, the knowledge and the experience and the ability 
to work with others is just fantastic. So make sure you check out Chris Haig. And also, I want to mention that I get emails like this a lot where people say the show has really helped them out. Um, and when we get past the interview and we go on to uh, the training log, you'll see that I just mentioned continuously different stuff that I use that works, what doesn't work. And if you find that this podcast has helped you out, all the hours and hours and hours and hard work I put into training, uh, not well, yeah, training, but then also uh, podcasting, uh, that you can actually help out with the show and pay it back a little bit. You can go to zentrathlon.com and see lots of cool pictures of stuff that I'm doing and commentary. It's pretty fun. And then also on the left-hand side, if you scroll down, there is a PayPal link and you can donate back to the show. You can do uh, just under four bucks a month, which is just around a dollar an episode, which is nothing. That's a recurring Eps, uh, recurring donation. Those are nice. And then, or you could do a one-time donation. And if you do, then, uh, anytime you want, you can email me a question and I'll answer it because, or I'll even read it on the show because I love helping people out. My goal with triathlon and the whole reason I do this podcast is to get everybody better and simplify this whole thing and de- decompile the mystery of how to do this sport and what it actually takes to get it done healthily and happily for the rest of your life. And that's why I'm here and that's what I do. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the interview. Again, it's all about the blood panels. And I think that this is one of the most significant interviews that I've ever done. Uh, with uh, that's going to have the biggest change in uh, how I do things and uh, in my results, uh, both on the on race day and also just how I feel in general. The interview was recorded a uh, almost a week ago, and I'm already feeling uh, far far better and had one of several of my best uh, workouts uh, since then. And yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. Here is Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Hello, hello. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm doing great. You sound great. Oh, that's good. I was a bit worried because I'm outdoors. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to wake everyone up, so I might do that anyway. Um, I thought I'd stand a better chance. Let's see if I can have Tommy. My family gets so mad at me because I get up early, <laughs> and I listen to podcasts or music while I'm with headphones on while I'm getting up because I don't want to disturb them. And but then they, you end up being really noisy because you can't hear how noisy you're being. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how noisy I, I am, and my wife will come storming out of the bedroom with like her hands and fists down by her side, you know. Could you make any more noise while getting out dishes? And I and I'd say, well, actually, yeah, I could. I'd make a lot more. <laughs> that just <laughs> that makes her even more mad. Oh my gosh! But then you kick on the Vitamix, and then it's all over. <laughs> yeah, no, I refrain from that. <laughs> yeah, I wait till everybody's up before I do that. Hello, hey. hello, hey guys. All right, can everyone hear everyone? This is great. I think so. It's a revolution in technology. We can finally hear, hear each other. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. You, you ready to get going? 
I'm already we recording. Have Skype. Let me just make sure I've got the actual blooming chemistry in front of me. I, okay. I when you, oh, when yeah. you do podcasts, Brett, do you just like dive straight in? and? No, well, it depends. So there's this, um, the app that I use to record a Skype phone call, you can yeah. set it to start recording, um, you know, anytime that you make a Skype call, it'll just record. And I found that to be a safety yeah. uh, okay. catch that I like because I've, actually done an interview or two where you forget to to hit the record button and oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah or yeah you think you did but you didn't so it's um but then what i do is i'll i'll throw out uh i bring the recording into the podcast to edit it and um i listen to the first few minutes and to the last few minutes and clip out and erase anything oh, okay. that we All don't want extra stuff yeah anything yeah. that we don't want to make on air or something like that yeah okay so, because like at the end of this call, we'll we uh, pretend to hang up. That's what I always say. <laughs> Let's pretend we hang yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then afterwards, I ask, <laughs> um, "Hey, was there anything in there that you know we mentioned a sponsor or uh, something you want me to edit out?" And um, every once in a while, somebody will say, "Yeah, you know what? Don't mention that sponsor yet because that's not official." You know. Um, okay. And that's how it works. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Let me pull up the uh, document. Uh, myself okay. and I was just I was just gonna say that when sometimes I've done a couple of podcasts is there a bit of a delay a little bit okay no that seems okay yeah all right and how about um, we introduce ourselves you two inter- they know who I am how about you introduce yourselves while I uh, open up the uh, document okay. <coughs> you want to go ahead Chris Okay, first, Chris. Yeah, let me just turn this off. You want to go sure. ahead, Doctor Wood? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, well, my name is uh, Tommy Wood. I'm a British-trained medical doctor. Um, I before I went to medical school, I did a degree in biochemistry, so I'm a biochemist and a medical doctor. Um, I'm currently doing a PhD in um, pediatric or neonatal brain metabolism. So I look at ways to treat babies with, uh, with brain injury caused by problems during childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the side, I do some blogging and, and podcasting. I have my own podcast. Um, oh, looking what's, the, at, what's the podcast? It, it's, called, it's called the Eat Better podcast. Okay. Um, we've, had, we've had Chris on once talking about gut health. And so I, I do all kinds of stuff. Stuff. It could be just the basics of eating better, living better, more sleep, less stress, all that kind of stuff. Or you know, going really deep into the the biochemistry of something. It could be so ketosis is obviously a really big one at the moment. So I've I've done you know a fair bit and talked a fair bit about things like that. So we we cover a broad range of things, um, and that's something. So I have a blog and I write for some various. Um, Things like breaking muscles is one thing where, where I write a few articles in terms of uh, performance and nutrition and things like that as well. So, I, so I, that's kind of my side project uh, on the side of all my normal work. <laughs> all right. So is, is a, a British-trained doctor uh, more eloquent than an American-trained doctor? Because it sounds like it. You're more likely to do what he says because of his accent. <laughs> right. It sounds more uh, authoritative. Authoritative? authoritative? Let's see, I don't know. Authoritative? At least in the in the states, you know, the accent gets you gets you a long way if you're when I'm over in the states. So he maybe, a, maybe. Yeah, he sounds official. You both sound very official to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you, Chris? Um, yeah. So I'm not a doctor. I should probably make that clear. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a 
computer scientist. I'm also a pro mountain biker. Um, I'm the founder of a, of a medical practice called uh, Nourish Balance Thrive. I'm partnered with uh, a, another medical doctor, Jamie Bush. He's also a pro mountain biker. And um, I came to not be a computer programmer anymore and be looking at a blood chemistry like the one we're going to talk about today because of um, what happened to me personally. I was a, a wreck of a human being a, a few years ago. And mm-hmm. I think I got there following conventional advice about low-fat diets and fueling exercise with carbohydrates and uh, a few other things that I won't go into now. But um, when, when I found the solution um, through tests like this one and, and some others that, that maybe we'll get into today, that um, I was pretty wowed by the whole experience and, and started wondering you know, how many other athletes are out there affected by insomnia and loss of libido and brain fog and digestive symptoms and you know, started putting myself out there a little bit, got onto a few podcasts and, and talked about some of the tests that I'd done. And um, a ton of people came forward and said, hey, yeah, that's me. I totally crash at three o'clock in the afternoon and I just have to have something with sugar in it at that time. Can you do that test on me? And, um, you know, 18 months later, uh, we've got uh, quite a successful practice helping athletes achieve the best performance they can achieve, which is really fun. And um, so Tommy... Tommy's the doctor I thought I would find um, when I went looking for a solution to my problems. And um, the experience that I actually got from my primary care physician was, was pretty bad, mm-hmm. or GP as they call them in, in the UK. He was actually worse than useless, I would say. If he'd, he'd just not said anything at all, that would have been more helpful. Right. And um, <laughs> he, he said, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're, you're, you're an athlete. Um, there's no problem. You can eat as many carbs as you want. Um, come back and see me in 10 years' time, um, mm. which, uh, which wasn't very helpful and then I went to see a gastroenterologist because I had a lot of GI symptoms and the gastroenterologist wasn't interested in what I was eating they said no it's nothing to do with that I'm sure it's nothing to do with that we can just do a colonoscopy it'll be fine and then we can give you some steroid drugs and, and if that doesn't work we can do some surgery and yeah. uh, that didn't sound like a great idea <laughs> so, no. but luckily I'm, I'm married to a food scientist and she works with me in Nourish Balance Thrive and we coach people on the paleo diet uh-huh. which you've probably heard of and, and we get fantastic results like that so um, yeah it's uh it's a success story all around, which is which is fun. I love what I do now, which I'm I'm not sure I could say before. So that's right. good. Yeah, um, this is really really cool. So what what happened was I was on uh, Tony Prezak's show, and uh, you heard me on there talking about um, I've been overtrained before, and that was probably in 2011, and I know what that feels like. And it's really, really bad, and it's really frustrating. And I've, I've uh, recovered from that. But then um, staying away from getting overtrained again is a combination of exercise and food. And I was, um, and I, I have goals. You know, I, I want to be a around a ten-hour Ironman uh, athlete. And I was having trouble with, um, with bonking during workouts because I was so carb dependent. And I've had blood tests before where you, they see how carb dependent you are versus fat. And I was really, really high on the carb end. And I'm trying to think, uh, some other, uh, some, I was having to pee a lot, uh, sometimes in training and I was caffeine dependent, like crazy to get the energy to uh, go mm-hmm. work out. But I wasn't, I'd, I'd learned enough to not get terribly overtrained because I'd been down that road before. So I was looking into food and, um, and I also, I'm really big on rest and recovery because I think I've got that part nailed down. I get lots and lots of sleep and I skip workouts if I'm tired. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so that's like, but there's still a major piece of the puzzle going on with uh, the food and like carbs versus fat versus protein and and the ratios of stuff. And and I can always improve in the other areas that I think I got pretty figured out too. But mm-hmm. then the uh, I was just telling a friend yesterday about my test results. And because he was saying, well, maybe I should do this and maybe I should do that. You know, he's just throwing some stuff in the air. And I said, no, you should go get this test done (laughs) and it will tell you where your biggest, uh, where your weakest links are. And then when you work on those, then you're actually fixing the things that are actually broken. Instead of Mm -hmm. guessing, you could guess for years and not know if you're actually improving stuff. And just off the top of my head, you know, like on this test result, I'm really high. I'm overly high in iron. I'm low in B12, which we'll, we'll talk about why, probably. And um, uh, it looks like I'm catabolic, like I'm burning muscle because maybe I'm not eating enough, right? And uh, uh, just a variety of different things. Uh, my in, even though my resting blood sugar or uh, fasting blood sugar is a little bit high, um, my insulin sensitivity is really, really low or, or uh, is really high. I mean, it's good is what I'm trying to say. And then... Uh, and if I'm wrong about this, we'll revisit it because I just, we had a phone call for the audience. We need to say we had a phone call last week, but the uh, Skype quality was just, uh, it kept dropping out. So we decided to redo it. So I know a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. And then, um, uh, yeah, so with, and then with some, with you two that we have on the call, you're the type that can actually look at these results because to me, they're just pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. I don't know what the big picture is, but the way I like to think of it is you can like fit the pieces together and get the big picture of actually what we're looking at and, um, and you know, like steps forward with what I've got. Uh, my cholesterol seemed to be uh, really good, for example. Um, all my vitamin D is low, right? So um, yeah. lots of stuff uh, for us to talk about and, um, and to get moving forward. So which one do you, you should what? listen to Tony, I should say, like, but you just reminded me about when, yeah. you, when you mentioned Tony there that um, I've been doing some testing on Tony. So Tony Prazak of Endurance Planet, and um, I've been working with her for, for a little while and she's done this test and, and some other tests too. And I think one of the ones that people will have heard of is the adrenal stress profile. Mm-hmm. And that's a saliva test that looks at cortisol and DHEA and testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and melatonin. And every single one I see is just flatline cortisol. All overtrained athletes are just adrenal fatigue is maybe the easiest way to describe it and uh, we just ran a, a test on, on on tawny and it's like one of the first perfect adrenal stress profile results i've ever <laughs> seen you know, i want to like frame it and hang it on the wall just to show that this is not nonsense it can be done you know so that was yeah mine definitely in- listening to tawny is on, on endurance planet is um is i know part of the solution <laughs> right is mine was my adrenal in there i didn't notice that is that a solution? no so test? we don't have that and okay. um but, but there, there are sometimes some clues and um, you know, there's sodium and potassium on this blood chemistry. And um, typically what I see in overtrained athletes who have the kind of um, you know, low cortisol thing, there's another hormone called aldosterone, which is also produced by the same glands. And, and for some reason, maybe Tommy can explain this better than I can, but um, it seems that the low aldosterone and low cortisol, they go together. And the result of this on the blood chemistry is you see high potassium and low sodium. And, okay. um Yours is yours is not what I normally see. Actually, normally the potassium's a little bit higher than that, and in fact, mine's a little bit higher than that. So, um, do, do you know why it is, Tommy, that those two hormones sometimes go together? I think it's generally because, as with most of the the hormones produced in the adrenal gland, um, 
most of the precursors uh, are the same. Right. So once you're once you're shuttling, um, or once you've essentially burned out some of those pathways, often what you'll see is what we, what we call something um, pregnenolone steel. So pregnenolone mm-hmm. is is one of the first precursors that then goes into um, steroid, you know, be that like DHA and then testosterone or cortisol or aldosterone. A lot of when people are very stressed, all of that gets shuttled into cortisol and then you lose some of the other hormones because you're, it's sort of, you're taking, you're taking that precursor just down that one pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if if you go even, if you go even further and you start to essentially exhaust the adrenal gland, um, and even though adrenal fatigue is kind of a a slightly contentious uh, issue in, in a lot, in a lot of areas and arenas, um, it's kind of thought that once you actually go go far enough down, then you're just you're just not producing enough of anything really. Um, um, and so then they te- then they tend to move together. So on the you said that there wasn't that specific test in the test that we did, but could no. you could you was was the other indicators of mine low, or you were saying the potassium was higher than what you would expect for an athlete? It, it, well, what do you think, Tommy? The potassium is a, a, a tiny bit higher, but it, it's not what I normally see. I sometimes see it, you know, outside of this. So we're looking at this result, and I'm sure you'll put this on the website, uh-huh. Brett. But um, there's actually two columns, two reference ranges on on the lab result, and one is the standard reference range, and, and that's the one that a doctor would look at. Uh-huh. And um, that reference range is calculated using the average of all the numbers the lab has ever seen. And there's a problem with that, and it's that only or more sick people go to the doctor than than well people do. Right. And you're not interested in being, you know, the average sick kind person. of sick American if you're trying to win, you know, a long course triathlon. Right. So um, it's helpful to have somebody to find some tighter limits. And I have some software that I use that um, creates this this second column, the optimal reference range. And I, I mean, it's not. Again, it's, it's it's not really set in stone. You still have to use your brain, but um, it, it, I think it's useful to look at these. And you're still inside the optimal reference range of sodium and potassium. But I think the adrenal stress profile w- would tell all, really. And and, and cortisol is a, follows a circadian rhythm, so it should be highest first thing in the morning and lowest last thing at night. And and sometimes you could have like normal cortisol output, but it's just dysregulated. So the person's having trouble sleeping at night because their cortisol's high. And that could be because of something they're doing, like watching Breaking Bad right before they go to bed, right? So there's, there's things in that test that you can't see in this one. But the, the blood chemistry, because it's the least, the most general test, it's, it's, it's a really good place to start. Yeah, like right now, I'm looking at the fasting insulin for me. And the standard range, you're saying, for people that includes a lot of people that go to be the doctor because they're sick, is 2 to 19 uh, units, um, what is it? Uh, milliliter, two to nineteen, something per. No, milliliter. it's 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 micro units per mil. So insulin is measured in in a in a standard unit. Okay. Um, yeah. And the range that um, the optimal range is actually zero to five, and I was four, well, three point nine. Mm-hmm. So I was. Yeah, within, that's a good, that's a good example, actually. Would you, Tommy, would you be happy if your fasting insulin was eighteen point nine? Uh, absolutely not. But I also wouldn't. I also wouldn't be happy if it was zero because right. <laughs> you do need some insulin. If you if you have zero insulin, then yeah. you're basically a type one diabetic. So I'm not sure I completely agree with the optimal range listed here. <laughs> um, but but no. So there's this is something that we talked about um, last time was that what we're finding more and more. So say in terms of something like cardiovascular risk, 
mm-hmm. is that your degree of insulin resistance um, is your real is your is your main sort of risk factor. And there are lots of things that can feed into insulin resistance. But if somebody is very insulin sensitive, uh, they're much less likely to have later cardiovascular disease. Um, and what they've seen. Uh, is that if your fasting insulin is is low and your fasting insulin is pretty low, it's 3.9, yeah. um, then it doesn't really matter what your cholesterol is. So with all these things that we think about, be it like LDL cholesterol or um, certain subfractions of cholesterol like ApoB100, which is just a certain protein that you have in certain types of cholesterol that is a, a marker of having higher cardiovascular risk. Um, but if your insulin is low, then actually it doesn't matter what those values are. It, it seems, you know, that's what we're, we're starting to see. So, I mean, although your cholesterol is pretty good, I mean, it's fairly low across the board, which um, isn't surprising, I think, because we've talked about the amount that you exercise and probably that you're not maybe eating enough. Right. Um, but something like your triglyceride to HDL ratio, which is a, a good indicator of insulin sensitivity um, in certain populations, Um you know, that's your triglyceride to HDL ratio is one, which is, which is very good. So, um, both, both of those things would suggest say in, in terms of something like cardiovascular risk that, that yours would be fairly low. I remember seeing a TV show about blood pressure and they said that cholesterol doesn't really matter. I may be wrong about this because it was just a TV show. Like, but like you were saying, cholesterol doesn't matter until after a point. And they said that cholesterol is the patchwork material that when you, damage your arteries that it comes in and pat- does the patching. So if your blood pressure is low, you never really do the artery damage for the cholesterol to come in and patch up anyway. And then, uh, so it doesn't really matter like your cholesterol profile as much um, if you have lower cl- uh, blood pressure. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Because um, yeah. obviously you do tend, you tend to get, um, so if we're talking about atherosclerosis, that mm-hmm. kind of the, the plaques that build up in the arteries, um, they tend to occur at points where you have the highest flow. So if pressure is lower, you'll have less, you'll have less damage, or at least that's one of the reasons why we think you end up getting atherosclerosis. Right. But obviously there's, there's also lots of other things just like, um, inflammation and insulin resistance, and they all kind of feed in. So if your, you know, your markers of inflammation are also very low, that's, that's a very good thing. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of it. Absolutely. But there's, it's, uh, I think we're we're still people are still arguing over what what, what the important factors are. So that might take some oddities out. So does what do you make of the? Sorry. Well, does a low fasting insulin uh, mean that means I'm insulin sensitive, which is good, right? That means I don't need much yeah, insulin. So, and does that no, mean, absolutely. Does that mean that uh, when I do take in uh, something like carbs while working out, I'm efficient at? using those carbs because insulin is I'm sensitive to the insulin that and it can transport the carbs to where it needs to go and and create uh, energy yes so as as people become insulin resistant say towards um, type 2 diabetes that kind of picture mm-hmm. their fasting insulin increases uh, so having a low fasting insulin suggests that you are insulin sensitive the I mean the only way to really test it is to do um, you do things like um, glycemic clamps where basically they feed you, they, they put glu- glucose into one arm and then they see how much insulin you need to clear that glucose or, mm-hmm. so there's, there's a, there's a very invasive tests. Um, so that's not something that, that you'd need to get done. So that would be the only way to really see how insulin sensitive you are. But, okay. um, based on your fasting insulin, it would, and, and the fact that, you know, the amount of exercise you do, um, obviously 
is a big factor in that uh, will now, would suggest that you're very insulin sensitive. Now, I've been working on getting rid of of uh, of the sugar out of my out of my fueling and, and training and such um, for about a month before this test. Um, would it have worked this fast? Uh, because I went from bonking and workouts to being able to do like one to two hour workouts on just a hundred, uh, like twenty five grams of carbs per hour, um, which is pretty efficient, um, or nothing really if I didn't want any. Uh, would it? Would that have brought this result down this fast, or is this more of a long term thing? That that's a good question. I um, it, it's difficult to say exactly. But when people, you can get very rapid changes in insulin sensitivity. Um, within weeks, you know, we see that okay. if, if we're doing studies uh, where we change diet or introduce some kind of exercise. Um, but I would guess that um, your issues with fueling were, were not due to your insulin sensitivity. Oh. Um, and they were, they were due to uh, basically how well your body was adapted to, to, to burning fats and your fueling strategies and how much you were eating and all these other kind of things. So if, if we'd have taken your, your fasting insulin a month ago, it might have been a bit higher, but I, I can't imagine it would be that much different. Okay. But it's impossible to say. Right, yeah. What do you make of that fasting glucose, though? Because that was one of the um, – that was kind of the, the, the gateway into all of this for me, actually, was, you know, someone said, oh, well, you should check your fasted blood glucose just first thing in the morning when you get out of bed. And you can do this really easy. You can get these finger stick tests from Amazon for seven bucks and, um, you know, check first thing when you get up before you have breakfast. And then you can check as many times as you like during the day. And um, I saw 120 milligrams per deciliter as my fasted blood glucose quite consistently when I was pounding down the maltodextrin and eating, you know, pasta reloads and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, 101, it's, it's not 120, but it's still not great either. So w- what do you make of that, Tommy? So we talked about this um, a bit last week as well. And so there were a couple of things that suggest, I think you talked, Brett, you mentioned that the, the overall picture is that you're maybe slightly catabolic, which basically means that you're just eating up muscle tissue or, mm-hmm. or sacrificing other tissue to try and maintain energy. Right. Um, and I think... Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things. So the glucose is slightly high. This is a, a fasted morning glucose. So you haven't eaten beforehand. Right. Uh, but you did have some black coffee. You did have some black coffee, which potentially can increase your fasting glucose. So that might be part of it. Right. Um, but then also your BUN, your blood urea nitrogen, uh, is is high, and that always it's on the higher end. And and you do that. You can also look at the ratio to creatinine, which is just a a urine or kidney. It's basically a kidney. We use it as a kidney function marker. And and that is fine. But compared to creatinine, as a ratio, your your blood urea nitrogen is also high. Mm -hmm. And I think the combination of those two suggests that um, you are struggling to maintain uh, energy reserves first thing in the morning. So if, if blood urea nitrogen is, is a marker of protein breakdown, obviously you haven't eaten any protein, so that protein is probably coming from muscle tissue. Um, and some of that can also lead to uh, increase in blood glucose. And, and it's not a huge effect, but I think with, with the two together, it suggests maybe that overall you're just not eating enough to fuel everything that you're doing, and then your body's having to tap into other reserves, including your muscle tissue, in order to try and in order to try and maintain energy or, or get enough get enough fuel. Right, and, and that's what was happening. I get up in the morning. Um, this has been going on for years and years and years. I get up in the morning and I want to go work out, but I just have I have to eat something to get the energy to even start working out. 
yeah. um, because I'm not eating, you're saying probably because I'm not eating enough and we can get into eating enough of what, but I'm, I'm not eating <coughs> enough of, uh, to give me the energy, uh, to work out in the morning, uh, the day before I'm not eating enough. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's another thing in a sign as well, actually, on this blood chemistry, which is not there that was there on my chemistry. And this is just like, when, this is not a fancy test. Like if you look at um, the last result you got from your doctor, you'll be able to see these markers and the um, AST and ALT. And, and these are transaminase enzymes that ALT belongs primarily in the liver. And um, when these become elevated on the blood chemistry, it means that something happened to the cell that contains the enzyme. So basically, there's some sort of cell death there. And I mean, you can you probably raise these by doing, you know, if you did this after an Ironman triathlon, mm -hmm. you probably see them elevated then. But, um, you know, for me, I'm pretty sure what was causing that was sort of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So um, I was starting to put on fat around my liver and that can cause the liver cells or hepatocytes to die. And then you see this elevation of, of AST and ALT, ALT in, in particular. And I think mine was 46, so more than double what yours was. And I, I've seen some some um, evidence that even when this creeps into the sort of high 20s, low 30s, it's a pretty good leading indicator of type 2 diabetes. So that's, again, is like another marker there that shows that, that maybe carbohydrate resistance is, is not your main problem here. Okay, so this is like the, um, the article I read in the news this morning where Brazil, or I forgot what the country is, is banning the uh, force-feeding the geese. Um, oh, really? Fuck, well, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> carbs, because it gives them a fatty liver, and that's a delicacy, <laughs> and it's torturous to the animal. So is <laughs> that this be, is yeah. same thing? This is one of the yeah. So it's this is one of the anecdotal uh, reasons why people say that maybe a lot of grain consumption isn't a good idea. And so, you know, some people you know do very well and live a very long life eating mostly grains. But if you look at um, if you look at a goose, if you're trying to make foie gras, which is basically just a fatty liver, you yeah. just take a goose and you for, you just force feed it grain. That's 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 all they do, um, and and then they 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 put on a lot of fat, but particularly in the liver, and then that becomes a delicacy. Wow, I've noticed that the beef is like that as well. We 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 had um, pork liver for dinner last night, as you do, and um, yeah, we compared to a beef liver, it's much much leaner. And I wonder even if the fancy uh, you know beef that we've been buying. Is still grain finished. I think that's quite a common practice, even for really good quality beef in the US. And yeah, I, to I make, I call to, to it, be grass fed. To be grass fed, they just have to be fed grass either at the start or the end. But you can use grains in between. So yeah, yeah. I, I mm. called a uh, bison, um, American bison uh, producer one time because uh, they said it didn't say on their packaging. It wasn't entirely clear. There was some room for uh, misinterpretation. Misinterpretation, on, and so I called. And they said, yeah, it's grass-fed until they send it off to the feedlot. Yeah. And then I said, well, why do you send it off to the feedlot? And they said, oh, you know, to put fat on it because people don't like it. <laughs> people won't like it if uh, it doesn't have enough fat on it. And I said, you think that, but some people don't. If you grass-finished it, it all the way through, you'd probably have a huge market for that as well, you know? So. Yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, well, you were saying mine seems to be within your optimal range, this AST and ALT, the fatty mm -hmm. liver stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, yeah, it seems to be okay, kind of in the middle of your optimal range. So what does that say then about me? Does it say I'm doing okay with how many carbs I'm eating? I'm not eating too many or something or, or what? Yeah, it does, it, does, it does look that way. What do you think, Tommy? I think um, so. Th so these things—it's it, really—they're all it's, clues. It, 
<laughs> yeah, they're all clues. So none of it kind of tells you definitely one way or the other. So it's kind of everything's a pattern and you kind of have to look at the whole thing. And yeah. I could just look at an like one blood and say, okay. you know, definitely this or the other. So I, I don't think anybody could anybody could do that. And anybody who says that they can do that mm-hmm. um, is probably being a bit economical with the truth. But um, <laughs> they look, you know, your, your, your liver function tests, as we, as we tend to call them on the whole, look just fine. So, so there's certainly nothing to suggest any kind of overt uh, problems there. And and I think overall, um, one of the main pictures that we get from your from your blood test maybe isn't that you have any problems with with carbs per se. Although you know we've talked about there is maybe a benefit of increasing your ability to burn fat so that you so you then um, you know because then you might be more efficient, say in, in your longer endurance efforts. Right. Right. Um, but. I think the overall picture is just of under eating. I just think it's just mm. not enough calories rather than, rather than the fact that specifically you're, you're very, um, you have any problems with metabolizing carbohydrate. So let's talk about some of the markers that indicate that though, because there's quite a few, you know, you just said that there's no, there's no, uh, is Brett eating enough, you know, and then there's an optimal range. It, it's like several markers we're looking at. So you already talked about the blood urea nitrogen. So we know that you're probably breaking down lean muscle mass to fuel your energy needs first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. But, um, also, total cholesterol, 149. I, I very, very rarely see below 200 these days. Um, but, but that can be an indicator of, of not eating enough too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my um, cholesterol, so, so it's, main... it's below. Total cholesterol is below even your optimal range. Right. Well, okay, so, yeah, what, what creates, what would give me more cholesterol? Uh, so, um you know, maybe Tommy can, can speak to this, but it's a bit kind of uh, nerve-wracking. So, so Tommy's education, he's been to the two most prestigious academic institutes in the UK, right, Oxford and Cambridge. Like, you can't, so it's a bit embarrassing to talk about biochemistry in front of him. But my understanding is that um, cholesterol, um, the HMG-CoA reductase, so the main rate-limiting enzyme in the production, the synthesis of cholesterol is stimulated by insulin. So if you're listening to this right now and your doctor's threatening to put you on a statin, because your cholesterol is is 300 points or something, just don't eat anything for two days before the test, and um, I think you've got an excellent chance of it coming back into range. Right. So that's so when you see it low like this, along with low triglycerides, it kind of hints at the fact, you know, because it's sort of more evidence. Like I said, each one of these markers is just a clue, and um, you know, when we've seen some other kind of catabolic stuff. Um, you know, the, the cholesterol is a, is a, is another piece of oh, evidence that okay. that strengthens the case that you're not eating. And and then of course we can just do something really simple like a food diary and just count the number of calories. And and, and that's right. what we did. And, and and I think Tommy probably you should, could speak better about um, the kind of deficit that you saw. Yeah. So so I mean, in terms of uh, cholesterol production, I think that's you know that, that that's a good kind of overview. And you might see something like LDL, which we were traditionally told is the bad cholesterol, but you know, that's probably not really that correct. We think now um, that will tend to go up also in, in if you have a lot of inflammation. We tend to see that because, like you were talking about earlier, Brett, it's a, it's part of the reparative process. Um, but one other thing that is slightly low uh, towards the end of the, the sort of optimal range is your free T3, and T3 is the main thyroid hormone that controls metabolism. And again, as you go into a calorie deficit. Um, that will tend to come down because your body uh-huh. naturally starts to turn down metabolism because it doesn't want to burn into all that. It, it, it is there to they do you do that to spare muscle tissue, particularly because otherwise you'll just burn into your muscle tissue. Right. So the combination, of all of the, yeah. The, so the combination of all of those things suggests that you're not eating really enough calories. 
And and Chris put your food diary into a calculator, and I think we we saw that you were maybe eating somewhere between uh, twenty five hundred and three thousand calories a day. Yeah. Um, and based on your your size and the amount of exercise you do, I'm I'm certain you need closer to five thousand calories a day, probably. Um, in order to a lot of food, like you're gonna have to eat like it's your job to get five thousand. <laughs> so I got a question about that. I can easily eat five thousand calories a day, <laughs> but when I do, <laughs> I put on I I put on I I put on a lot of weight. That's not. I mean, it's fat. I get fat if I so. But am am I? Are we gonna talk about like what I should eat to get that five thousand calories a day? That's not gonna get me fat. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what? So before, when you've been eating more, what what have you been eating more of? Um, let's see. I would I would admit that prob and this is just looking back and trying to analyze it. Um, that I would try to eat healthy food up to a point, but then because it's not doesn't have enough calories in it, that I bet when I try to make up for the calories, I go to just uh, potato chips and ice cream and stuff like that to try to get those um, calories in because the the uh, the cleaner healthy food um, failed at some point you know it works uh, up into so many calories but then the body's just screaming for more and then you can't uh, you can't restrain yourself anymore and you just go for anything like like a milkshake or a hamburger or something like that. Um, and I bet, I wonder if that's pretty typical. Uh, and then in, in your mind, you, you're eating healthy, but only up into, you know, whatever percentage of calories. And then after that, you hit a critical mass and then you go a threshold. And then I go into eating, um, bad stuff to make up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, you, absolutely. The yeah. extra calories could be We're... just whatever's in the pantry. That's not really food. It's not healthy food. It's, uh, just trying to make up calories. So when, when you're eating that kind and you know, there is, there, there are plenty of people who, um, at least during their athletic careers can, can eat pretty much anything as long as they're getting those calories in, mm-hmm. um, and they do just fine. Uh, I think often as people start to get a bit older then they, then they find that, that that stops being the case. It's usually, you know, those, you know, 20 year old bodybuilders who can just stuff down mcdonald's and they're huge and ripped uh, but usually as people get older they tend to switch they tend to switch to a slightly more balanced or healthy diet whatever you want to call it right um but it's you know as i think there's a number of things that could come into that so if you're eating a lot of refined carbohydrate and you're not timing it well with your training and then you act it's very you know it's very easy to eat a thousand calories of ice cream i'm sure i've done that a number of times right so I think there's kind of you. You could definitely you could definitely tweak that such that you're getting your calories at the right time, the right kind of calories, and then you can slowly, incrementally increase that until you get to a point where you maybe start to gain weight, and then you know that you're kind of at that sort of optimal, optimal point. Um, but I do also think that if you're chronically under eating and exercising a lot, then when you start to eat more, I, I know you say that you can visually see that you've put on some fat, but I do think that some of that might be additional muscle tissue as well because you're, st- you're, you're not sort of in that continuous catabolic state. So you're, you'll certainly put on both. Yeah. yeah. Just keep looking at your watts per kilo. Don't, don't just look at you know, fat mass. Don't just pinch your belly. Just look at the watts per kilo. Right. That's what really counts at the end of the day, right? It's, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think it's safest to get those extra calories from saturated fat. Honestly, that's what I've seen work the best. It certainly worked the best for me. So rather than 
you know, say you need to make up 3,000 more calories a day than mm. the average person, then get those calories from coconut oil, uh, butter, ghee, uh, lard, fattier cuts of meat, right. and, then, and then not so much of, the, of, the, of any type of carbohydrates, really. I mean, they all break down the same way. But you, you can know that this is working for you just by checking your blood glucose. You know, if you stuff down a, a ton of refined carbohydrates, even after a workout, and your blood glucose is going up to 180, then I, I would suggest that's not working for you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because I keep a I keep a stick of butter in my fridge at work, and um, I've I'm slowly training myself that if I'm hungry, you know, to consider that as as some calories, and then uh, um, also uh, coconut oil, and um, I'm trying to think whatever else I go to for saturated fat. So I guess I need to broaden those those selections mm-hmm. a little bit so I have more variety so I can yeah I can I like, um, go to them. My, my things at the moment are. Um, Pemmican, so U.S. Wellness Meats has this thing. It apparently used to be like um, a very traditional endurance food. Marathon runners used to use it, or uh-huh. ultra runners and stuff. I know what it's, you're talking about, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like 50%, <clears throat> excuse me, ground meat and saturated fat. And uh, U.S. Wellness Meats, um, they sell it in like sticks that look like pepperami. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're actually quite convenient to, to carry. And then um, coconut butter is good as well. If you, don't, if, you, if you like coconut, I know some people hate it. But, um, oh, I love it. There's a... Yeah, it's, there's, I think there's, the company's called As- Asana, I think. You can get it on Amazon anyway in these little pouches. So it looks like um, gels, but it's just the pureed flesh of a coconut. So it's a whole food. Mm. And um, that, that's, that's got um, a ton of calories in it, and, and really they're just, it's just fat. So that, that's another, another thing to consider. Okay. I think there's also – so you can make pemmican yourself as well. I know somebody um, is a cross-country skier who I, who I talk to a lot about <coughs> Fat ad- adaptation, and he made pemmican for some of his longer races over the over the winter, and he was he was eating that during racing, and he he I think he got a lot of benefit from that. Yeah, I remember. Um, but also, when I was a kid, and we were back, I was doing lots of backpacking when I was a teenager in the eighties, and um, long treks, you know, like ten days in the in the mountains, and we we'd eat pemmican, and um, it worked. It was great. I had no complaints. We also ate a lot of skittles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we were kids so it's okay i guess but yeah yeah, yeah pemmican's <laughs> definitely a thing in, a, in the united states for um for long distance stuff it used to be at least okay i, I was just gonna say i think there's there's also you know there's also a lot to be said for increasing um your monosaturated uh, fatty acid intake so okay. you know getting you know olive oil avocado you know all that kind of stuff it's just another way to get um I also think that you know eggs are a great you know usually particularly particularly the egg yolk uh, is a great source of calories you need quite a few sometimes but uh to kind of increase your your fat intake and of course um, avocados so, can't say live in texas yeah. is not the avocados <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i i eat guacamole like crazy and i'll, I'll eat even more because i used to not like it now i love it so okay um can we talk about uh, there was something really interesting that you mentioned on the previous call about uh, iron, and I say iron weirdly because I was raised in the South of the United States, and uh, I can't I, don't, I can't figure out how to say it correctly. Iron, 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 and then um, so excuse me on that. <laughs> the uh, you saw that my iron <laughs> levels were high, and uh, or something my ferritin, and you were saying that that could be um, uh, that could be from eating bread where they've put uh, fortified fortified with iron, right? Can you talk some about that? Um, sure. So there's, 
there's a number of things that kind of potentially play into this. And, and there's the people are talking a lot about this more. There was um, Richard Nikolai of, of Feed the Animal recently wrote a, a nice piece about the potential dangers of, of iron in the diet and, and, and fortifying iron, foods with iron particularly. Um, but so two things that you see on your blood test is your ferritin is 89, which is slightly high. And it, that's sort of, you know, Traditionally, within the, a more normal range, you need to see a ferritin of 89, and you probably wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, and, and one of the con- and it, 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 the ferritin is, is a very good marker of the, the total amount of iron in the body, with the slight caveat with the fact that it's, it's we call what we call an acute phase protein. So if you have a lot of inflammation or you're suddenly sick or something like that, then your ferritin will increase. So it's oh, okay. it's it's kind of good as it's good as long as nothing else is going on at the same time. Okay. And an elevated ferritin, an elevated ferritin is what we'd see in something like hemochromatosis, which is basically a, a mutation in a gene which causes you to to absorb and retain a lot of iron. And your ferritin isn't that high for you know we'd we'd see something maybe over three hundred for somebody with hemochromatosis. Okay. But in in sort of uh, particularly in males, as they get towards their forties and fifties, they seem to sort of accumulate more iron. And you can check uh, your your um, your risk of that by doing something like a twenty three and Me, and you can look at whether you have any mutations in your iron accumulation genes. Um, but your ferritin is slightly higher, so eighty nine. Um, some people who've played around with this, uh, somebody like Anthony Colpo has written a lot about this previously, and and they would think that actually, you know, you'd want your ferritin maybe closer to maybe thirty or forty, something like that. Oh, okay. And also, and and also, your hemoglobin is is, is quite high, so it's fifteen point four, so it's just above the normal range, um, or it's at the upper end of the normal range, depending on who's measured it. Um, and that could just be a genetic thing. You know, you're a very you're a very uh, gifted endurance athlete, and maybe that's because your body um, naturally produces a higher a higher hemoglobin. Um, but between those two things, it's possible that you're sort of on the end, or on the edge of having some iron overload, um, mm. and that can increase oxidative stress particularly. So other markers that you might have high oxidative stress in your body are things like your uric acid is slightly high, your homocysteine is slightly high, um, and though your CRP, which your high sensitive C, CRP, which is another marker of inflammation, uh, is, is 0.5, which is which is you know we'd we'd consider that to be fine, um, but it's just possible that that you you are sort of on the edge of some iron overload, which can increase the total amount of oxidative stress in the body. And one of the things that one of the reasons we think that might be is because um, we were initially very worried about anemia, so iron deficiency anemia, particularly in women, um, because obviously they lose blood every month. And then they just don't have enough iron to make all the you know red blood cells that they need because right. iron is essentially is essential for just carrying oxygen around the body. Right. Um, so it's, in certain countries they fortify with iron, and you'll see that in all your cereals, you know your your cornflakes are fortified with iron. Now the the, the one of the problems there is the fact that um, the iron that we use in our blood cells is heme iron, so it's kind of complex to a big protein, and and you know it, that's very usable by our body and so you'd get that from something like meat say you can even get too much if you eat too much meat i think that's that's you know that is a possibility but the iron that they put in your cornflakes is just iron filings so you know you know you know when you were a kid and you had a magnet and you had all those iron filings (laughs) yeah yeah this is what there's some brilliant. If anybody has a free five minutes, just Google, just Google it. Cornflakes, iron filing, something like that. And you basically, there are people you you take cornflakes, 
you put it in loads of water, you blend it up, and then and then you put it in a bag, and you can actually use a magnet to just pull the iron filings out of your cornflakes. But and some cornflakes are even so magnetic that you can just pull them around with a magnet. And but like you said, I mean, it is fortified with iron now. And the phrase I like that you used earlier was they're just being really efficient with the truth. I like that. Yeah, yeah, economical with the truth. So so yeah, technically, there's iron in there, but. <laughs> you know, so you can that you know some of that iron, some of that iron will break down in the acid, you know, in the stomach, and you'll get the kind of iron that you can take up, you know. But a, a huge, you know, the rest of it just becomes a very sort of damaging and inflammatory potentially, you know, for say the gut microbiome or the or the tissue of the gut. So uh -huh. I think that that kind of fortifying with iron hasn't really given us the benefit in terms of reversing iron deficiency anemia. We haven't really seen that much benefit from it. So they keep on increasing it because they think there's just not enough iron. Right. Um, but maybe it's just because it's the wrong type of iron. Um, so I think the combination of all of that suggests that maybe you're getting too much iron and it might be a, it might also be a, a genetic predisposition that you have. And then maybe you need to think about ways that you can reduce that. But I, I think you need more tests before we start to say that you need to give blood or anything like that to get rid of extra iron. I, I got a question about the, about that. So the, I eat a lot of leafy greens and uh -huh. is that even possible that the, that that's making it high the amount of leafy green i eat kale and spinach and you know yeah so this is really interesting um elsie widdison when uh she did the first um she did the first analysis of the chemical composition of food i think it's called the chemical composition of foods and, and she did this you know at, at the beginning of the previous century right and um particularly when when she was analyzing spinach, she put the decimal place in the wrong place. <laughs> so she overestimated the amount of iron in spinach by tenfold. Okay. Um, so it, it's probably not it's probably not um, the leafy greens that are doing it. So where would where would I be getting too much iron from? The cereals. Uh, you said fortified bread. I think. I th yeah. So I think I. W I mean, I would. Um, I would get rid of all processed flours just to kind of re minimize that risk right. um, because there will be in things like cereals, um, you know, bagels, breads, that kind of stuff. But it's good because in the U.S. It, it's a mandate that you have to fortify all, all processed uh, wheat flours. Oh. Um, and then, then the, the other potential is, is it could be a, a genetic predisposition to, to just keep, keep more iron in the body than, than maybe um, – Maybe you need, and, and this was this was. Um, if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it, it's very useful to have something like hemochromatosis if you're going to be fighting a lot. So if you're going to be bleeding a lot and losing a lot of blood, then having a genetic mutation which causes you to store iron is actually beneficial. It gives you a survival benefit. But the modern man who just sit, sits around and doesn't doesn't fight anybody, then then it then it potentially becomes a problem because you just keep storing iron. But when so Chris, that's kind of it's interesting in itself, isn't it? That you can't actually lose iron in any other way, right? That's the only that's the only place it goes is when you bleed. So yeah. when Chris and I are in bike wrecks and we lose blood, then that's good. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, potentially that's good. Modern yeah. day life, although you can fighting. do it. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what middle-aged men in lycra with uh, gravel rash on their hip? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm bleeding all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as if, if I was a, uh, a gladiator, though. But, uh, okay, so another one that was really interesting. Um, I have, uh, over the past uh, year or two, maybe, um, I started developing what looks like vitiligo. 
And um, you know what? When you when you when you have something, you start noticing how many people have it. Like uh, when somebody like you, you if if you're female or if you're male, your spouse uh, gets pregnant, you start noticing pregnant people everywhere, right? Well, oh yeah, I started getting vitiligo on my face, and it's where uh, your your skin pigment for this is for the audience. Uh, skin pigment, uh, your body starts attacking it, so you get pale uh, dots and splotches and stuff. Uh, wherever you get it on your body. And I've started noticing on so many people that are middle-aged and older, all kinds of uh, crazy skin stuff that looks like it could be autoimmune, like um, cirrhosis and, and things like that. And um, and also a whole lot of what looks like could be uh, fungal, because uh, that looks like vitiligo as well, little fungal infections. Um, oh, yeah, tinea. Yeah, tinea. And the... Um, Anyway, uh, mine has actually been getting better, and it seems to be getting better the more I'm getting away from trying to be uh, trying to eat uh, l- less, right? So I have this theory that uh, you were like you were saying, um, I'm stressed from not eating enough, and then that stress is causing combined with many other things like what I'm eating, what I what I do eat. And what I'm doing uh, could be causing uh, the vitiligo. And as I pull myself back from under eating and overtraining, um, the vitiligo, because the, the skin doctor, the, the uh, dermatologist, said that it can come and go, right? And, he, you know, this is like when uh, you visit a doctor and they don't really have a solution. They're like, well, it can come and go. You know, it kind of shrugs his <laughs> shoulder. And I'm like, that's not acceptable. <laughs> I want to know why it comes and goes, and then I can make it go, like, forever away. Um, and uh, he said, the skin doctor looked at it, because I've been back a couple times, and he said, yeah, it looks like it's uh, the, your pigmentation's filling back in. It takes a long time to come back, by the way. Um, and uh, so you, we were talking about this the last episode, and then also... Um, my B12, and I didn't actually understand exactly what you were saying about uh, B12, but what I do understand you were saying is uh, autoimmune uh, stuff, for lack of a better, better term, can likes to, likes to gang up and run in pairs and, and threes and sevens and such. And my B12, you said, was looking like, um, something about my B12 levels was looking like that might be running hand in hand with, a little, with the vitiligo as well. Can you tell, tell us more about that? Um, yeah, sure. So the interesting thing about vitiligo is people think of it as an autoimmune disease where basically your body starts to attack the melanocytes, which are the cells in the skin that, that uh, produce melanin, which make you tan or give you your skin color. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's not a typical uh, autoimmune disease. And the reason why it's kind of filed under autoimmune diseases is because it comes with other autoimmune diseases, particularly something like thyroid disease, autoimmune thyroid diseases. Um, but there's also a factor of oxidative stress. So, so there's a combination of, of an autoimmune component, but also having high oxidative stress. And in, in, in vitiligo, um, your melanocytes are very sensitive to oxidative stress. And then, you know, the oxidative stress basically causes them to die. So, uh, unlike other autoimmune diseases, vitiligo tends to happen in an equal proportion of men and women. Um, and usually autoimmune diseases are more common in women. So there's, there's definitely more than one thing that goes on in terms of vitiligo. And we've also already talked about how you might have a high level of oxidative stress, which might feed into that as you start to, and that could improve as you start to, to fix it. 
Right. Um, but, but one thing, yeah, so but one thing that we noticed was that your B12 is on the, the, the lower end. Um, and, and it's not like super, super low, but it's kind of towards, it's, it's below what, what we think is more like the optimal range. Mm -hmm. And you don't really have a good reason for that. You know, you eat a reasonable amount of meat, you have a, you know, you have a fairly good diet. Um, so one thing that, that we might, well, that might be going on, and we, we don't have a definite, this isn't definite, but is there is something called pernicious anemia, which is an autoimmune disease where you start to attack the parietal cells in the stomach. And what they do is they make something called intrinsic factor. An intrinsic factor is something that binds to the B12 that you eat and then helps your body absorb it from the gut. Right. So it's basically right. you, you stop being able to absorb B12 as well. So it could be if you sort of have a tendency towards autoimmune disease that you have both vitiligo and potentially pernicious anemia or at least the beginnings of pernicious anemia, which is then causing your B12 to be low. And like, like we said before, um, that it's not, that's not a definite, there's no way I can diagnose you with pernicious anemia looking at this test, but it, it's a possibility. So but it's interesting, there is no anemia, right? So the anemia part is like the kind of the low hemoglobin, and, which he does not have. No, so you. So we already talked about the fact that your hemoglobin is on the high side, mm -hmm. and hemoglobin is just a measure of all the, you know, basically, um, it, it's just a measure of red blood cell function or the amount of hemoglobin you have in your red blood cells, and you also have a slightly high red blood cell count. Um, but you have your MCV, which is the mean corpuscular volume, which is basically the size of your red blood cells, um, is on the slightly on the high side it's really not that high it's literally just above the, the optimal range it's 90 mm -hmm. um, and that, and what the range is actually really depends on where the, what lab did it um, but something else that's slightly high is your red cell distribution uh, distribution um, and what that is is basically it's the it's the size difference between your smallest red blood cell and your biggest red blood cell right and that starts that starts to increase when you have lots of different sized red blood cells and so what I think is happening is the reason that's increased um, is because your blood cells tend to get a bit bigger when you become deficient in B12. So that will increase your MCV and it will also increase the, your red cell uh, distribution because you'll start to get bigger red blood cells, so you'll get a, a wider range. So on think, some days you had enough B12 and on other days maybe you didn't, and so there'd be this greater variation of the size of the cells. And what I would what I would think maybe is if if you corrected your B12, your hemoglobin might go up even further actually because then you haven't because B12 is 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 a is a rate limiting step or is very important for the production of red blood cells or all blood cells. Right. So it's possible um, that if you have a tendency towards a higher hemoglobin, maybe you have um, a, a, a sort of a genetic predisposition to that. Once you correct your B12 insufficiency, we'd call it rather than maybe a deficiency, then maybe your hemoglobin would go up even further. So that's a cool hack, isn't it? If you're listening to this and you're slightly anemic, uh -huh. then um, you know rather than going out and training six months for a, a triathlon, perhaps you could just fix some B12 and folate issues and get more hemoglobin that way, and that's going to make you a better endurance athlete. So how do you? I know uh, Chris. Did, well, go ahead. I was going to say, Chris, you recently because Chris has had some problems with his with his folate intake, and you've increased that, and your your and yeah. folate sort of goes with B12 and, and you've seen an increase in your hemoglobin. Yeah, so I mean, because I, I mean, I'm a wreck of a human, right? So I have a history, I'm probably celiac, so or at least very sensitive to gluten. And so my gut has been a, a wreck for a long, long time. And with that comes um, anemia just because you're not able to absorb the, the nutrients so well. And it, it's something I've kind of been battling with for a long time. And being a pro mountain biker, having a, so my hemoglobin is, is um, more like, uh, well, traditionally it's been like even 12 points. Um, 13 was pretty good for me. And so you're, you're 15.4. 
and um, I've just got it above 14 for the first time. And that's a really big deal. So you can actually work this out. I mean, I'm not sure whether this is set in stone, but I've seen um, the equation where it's uh, 0.25 times your body weight gets you extra watts per kilo. I worked it out. It was like 37 watts per um, at threshold. Mm-hmm. So if I was doing 300 watts before by increasing my hemoglobin, now I'm doing 337. And of course, that's no additional training. That's just fixing a nutritional deficiency. So that's a pretty big win in my eyes. You know, that pays for the test in itself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's definitely going to make you faster than a set of carbon fiber wheels that cost $2,500, put it that way. And make you feel better too. Um, Yeah, and that's like... (laughs) It's true, yeah, when you climb. That's what we're talking about with this test. um, There's another market here. Why don't you talk about um, uh, homocysteine, Tommy? Because that's related to B12 metabolism as well. Oh, yeah. So your homocysteine is... Um, let me find it. Is eleven point six, which right. is which is ab- above, which is you know one of the markers is actually you know reasonably elevated in in terms of your blood tests, and it, it's kind of and homocysteine is is in the middle of this whole kind of B twelve folate, you know methylation. You know people are talking a lot about you know methylating proteins and and um, you know that for sort of your DNA you know regulation and and all that kind of stuff. But the the important thing is that the homocysteine goes up when you haven't managed to regulate that whole kind of system very well. And, and there's a number of things that could be a problem there. So it could be that, again, it could be a problem with your B12. It might be that you don't have enough of a certain type of folate, so methylfolate. Um, it could be that you're not taking enough glycine. So glycine is, is an amino acid that you need in order to clear homocysteine. Um, and that, you know, you get that from like bone broths and connective tissue and collagen and all that kind of stuff. Um, or it could be another deficiency, something like a, a vitamin B6 deficiency. And all of that's kind of linked. Um, but the important thing is that in order to get good glutathione production, which is one of your main sort of, you know, cellular antioxidants, it's how we sort of clear all the junk that you create when you when you do a lot of exercise, particularly say, um, you need that to, to be in a, in, a, in a nice in a nice balance. So um, it could be one of the reasons why you have a high oxidative stress is maybe because you're you're not um, managing to create glutathione as efficiently as efficiently. So then you can't clear all the sort of reactive oxygen species and breakdown products that you get if, when you're doing a, when you have a high training load. So there's a potential that all of that's kind of linked. Um, where that kind of where your particular sticking point is it, it is difficult um to to figure out although so we can you know we can say that you have more bone broths or maybe take a collagen supplement or we can do something you know chris is very experienced in doing the organics urine test and then you can kind of look at particular b vitamin deficiencies and see whether you have any issues there so there's ways to kind of pinpoint exactly where you have a problem but your you know a high homocysteine um is associated with cardiovascular risk so even you know so your other markers are very low so maybe it's difficult to kind of say exactly which is the most important. I think insulin and insulin sensitivity is probably the most important. Right. So in terms of cardiovascular health, I'd really worry about your homocysteine. But it's definitely suggested that you've got some 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 other issues going on that we we could potentially tweak. And there are some people who think that high homocysteine is a is a is a marker of iron overload. So then that goes back to the other thing we were talking about. Oh, okay. What do you think about um, homocysteine shutting down thyroid as well? So I've seen some evidence that it so that the the, the, the receptor on the nucleus of a cell. Um, for thyroid hormone can actually be disrupted by homocysteine. Have you have you heard that, Tommy? Oh, I hadn't heard that, but um, that sounds very interesting. And and all of this, you know, we the more we figure out, all of this is so intricately interconnected. So I wouldn't be surprised if if you know that as kind of a um, associated with 
you know, so homocysteine associated with problems with thyroid and insulin and, you know, and, and oxidative stress, say from iron overload. So it, I, I'm, I'm certain it could all be connected. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about what you're going to do, Brett. You yeah, know, that's, that's my next of, question. That's, the, that's what people want to know. What are you going to do? What, what do okay, so I've got, the, I've got a firm grasp on part, part of the solutions, which would be olive oil, saturated fat, pemmican, right, to up my calories. Um, uh -huh. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been working for a while on uh, reducing um, my carbs needed, being less carb dependent in my training and uh and for for years now uh slowing down my training when i don't feel right um and then and getting tons and tons of sleep and looking at uh heart rate variability to make sure i'm not overtraining and that's really good like my heart rate variability tests are, are uh, like i've learned like what that feels like and then the b12 and the the uh homocysteine and this other stuff that we were just talking about is an area that I'm not well versed in and also the vitiligo and how that affects the vitiligo and the vitiligo to me is you know a red flag that something's going on so like I'm really interested on uh, your help on what to do especially with that and um, so what do, what do we do now because I'm, I'm listening I mean <laughs> so you know i'm going to suggest what i almost suggest which is the paleo diet right <laughs> and the reason i almost suggest it is because it gets such great results right people wouldn't right. you know i'm slightly different in a slightly different position where i'm i'm running all these um panels these you know, blood tests and, and and tommy mentioned urinary organic acids that that shows other problems too and um i see when people adopt this diet they get better and it's you can quantify it right so we could do, you could do an experiment right now be super strict paleo. Um, there's a version of the the paleo diet called the autoimmune protocol, which would, you know, if you were paying me money for my advice, I would suggest that. But um, I, I know it's quite restrictive, and I, I know some people kind of get a bit intimidated by by it for that reason. And, and so maybe it would be better to start off with a kind of a slightly more relaxed version of, of the paleo diet, and 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 just get rid of the um, the all of the grains, and just right. just think of it as an experiment, you know, like. Um, Let's just be squeaky clean for a month. Just execute it exactly like you'd execute your training plan, and then redo the blood chemistry and see if we see an improvement in your, um, you know, your B12 levels. See if the homocysteine comes down. See what happens to your the mean corpuscular volume. See what happens to you know. There's a bunch of things that I think could improve um, based on this quite fairly straightforward change to your diet. So that's I mean that's what I would suggest. So is there a way to do it? Um gently without being squeaky clean or do i have to dive all in and because yeah, you were um, saying it's kind of like stressful I, I, in an email to yeah. go all in would i still yeah, see so results I, what i would what i would say is that you know the best sort of evidence we have in terms of diet and autoimmune disease which obviously we we think you're potentially at risk of with with your vitiligo um maybe some other issues um, I think a, a lot of it is associated with a maladaption to grains in the diet. And I think we see that in a number of different autoimmune diseases like thyroid or multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to do one thing, I'd get rid of grains. Okay. Um, and then maybe, you know, if you're really struck and then if, you know, if you wanted some high fat dairy or something like that, which you wouldn't, which you wouldn't traditionally have on like a, an original paleo type diet, then, then, you know, if you're getting good, good quality dairy, then I, I'd maybe worry less about that. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think um, it depends on you as an individual, and I don't know you well enough 
to know what motivates you. And um, I've just finished reading a book which I'd highly recommend. It's called Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubel. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the different types of person and how they respond to um, different ways of forming new habits. And so for me, I'm an abstainer. And what that means is I do much better not having alcohol in the house, say, right? So I can't drink one beer. I can only drink none or five. Like right. that's just how I am. I'm an, 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 so I do best with abstaining. Whereas some people are not <laughs> like that. You and I that. don't need they to can, hang out then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some people, they're, they're not like that at all. They can have one beer, uh-huh. one square of dark chocolate and be perfectly satisfied with that. And um, you know this is you because as you consume something, you want it less. Whereas I'm the other way around. The more I consume it, the more I want it. Yeah. And so it's better for me to just completely abstain. And you know, so I think are, it'd be a good idea for you to read that book and figure out what sort of person you are and then like, make a decision then. I think people are also different on that spectrum uh, in different areas of their yeah. life too. Like you, A person can be that way about alcohol, but not about chocolate. And it's right. good to see yeah. what you're... Um, I used to be that way about beer, but now I'm like one or two and my mouth starts getting dry and I'm like, no, nah, I'm done. Cause I don't want to be dehydrated the next day and that's it. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, I could probably think of, Oh, like with exercise, uh, I do a little bit. Well, guess what's better is more. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And, uh, let's see. I think what, yeah. what we mentioned last time was that, so anybody who's listened to you on Zendurance uh, with Tawny, I think, I mean, I, I think both Chris and I agree with with what she mentioned, what she suggests in terms of eating. Right. Um, but I think what we kind of talked about was the fact that you you feel good when you train fasted, but then the problem comes when you actually need to eat enough. So I think what we talked about is that you could tr- you know, do your morning session and you, you could do your morning session fasted, but then you have like a five hour window where you really need to eat a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. three to 4,000 calories uh, of mainly fat and protein. Um, and then you can not eat for the next three hours, say, because you don't want to have a, a full stomach. And then you do your, your evening session. And then, and then after that, so once you're you know, eating your dinner, whatever, that's when maybe you'd, you'd take in some, some carbohydrates. So we wouldn't sort of like completely carbohydrate restrict you, but you'd maybe keep it towards the evenings uh, after your second session. Um, and, so then I think that's how you kind of get the benefits of training in a, in a relatively fasted state for you, or at least not after eating, but then you're still getting enough calories in. Well, I'm also, um, there was a really good write-up that Alan Cousins did on uh, Kona qualifiers. This gra- I need to post it on the blog. I loved it. And if you're too fat, if you don't eat anything, you're too fat adapted, then you're not, um, you're not eating enough calories to complete the race at the, in the fastest amount of time. Right, so these Kona qualifiers were kind of like low to middle carb burners, and not the lowest. And um, it looks—I was trying to do some calculations on the chart, and it looks like they were eating probably uh, 200 to 250 calories per hour on the bike, and maybe 50 to 100 on the run, um, maybe more, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and then there's lots of coaches that will say. You need to practice and training what you're doing so that because if you if you don't eat while training, then you've trained yourself not to eat. And then when you do need to eat, you won't be able to because you're yeah. you've kind of trained yourself. So what I'm I can go without anything while training uh, now, but I don't think it's smart. I think it's smarter to eat, you know, uh, 100 to 200 to even up to 250 something calories per hour, like on a long bike ride. 
of, of yeah, I Google. think that will really depend. It will depend on the length of the session you're doing. Exactly. So if it's a, yeah. if, it's a sh if it's a shorter session, then you know you could happily do that faster. But if you're going for like a six-hour bike ride, then absolutely, I'd I'd fuel for that as you would in a race. Exactly. Okay, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying not to yeah, go yeah. longer, not eating anything because I think in the long run that's not smart. And then okay, yeah. so staying away from grains. Uh, can you give us? a quick list of what would be acceptable acceptable carbs after a workout. So rice is technically a grain, right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so rice has kind of come back into a lot of paleo diets, but I think maybe to begin with for you. So if you were going to, if you were going to do it in a stepwise manner, I just take away wheat would probably be your main one and corn because those are the ones that are fortified and the most heavily processed and you might have the most issue with. Right. So my big bag um, of uh, my 50 pound bag of maltodextrin in my garage just needs to stay out, stay out there. Put it on eBay. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, leave it there for now. Okay. Um, but so then, so then things that, so then, you know, fruit, bananas, you know, sweet potatoes, you know, get a lot of, they get a lot of press in, in the, um, in the paleo community because that's kind of the sort of the go-to carb. Um, I would, I would stick with things like that. Um, I don't know, Chris, who's done a, you know, more recently done a lot more of this fueling kind of thing. I don't know if you have anything extra that you'd suggest. Yeah, Wait, I do. Said... Yeah. So actually, but, I mean, I've just thought about it. The, the, the maltodextrin probably doesn't have any trace of the, of the corn protein in it, right? So it's the proteins typically in these grains that are causing the problem. Okay. And, uh, the maltodextrin is just like, they're just long it's glucose polymers, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, e even in my like kind of darkest days of, 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 of um, GI distress, I could still tolerate uh, maltodextrin pretty well. So that's probably not okay. an issue, actually. But um, yeah, so um, the type of carbs um, I like to eat after a workout are things like um, starchy tubers, so sweet potatoes mm. and then parsnips. And um, they call them yams, but they're really just a red sweet potato here in the US. Right. And uh, carrots and beets. And then, well, of course, um, uh, you know, it's the summer. Um, I, I know not maybe everywhere in the world, but certainly here in California, there's ridiculous amounts of all types of fruit, you know, apricots and plums and pluots and peaches and, yeah, watermelon and um, lots of different types. Berries are good. Berries are pretty uh, low glycemic. So blueberries and um, strawberries uh, are, are really, really good. So, so, yeah, there's plenty of choices when it comes to carbs. So the berries are great, but they're also fairly low carb. So, I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, there's, there's no reason why you need to be, I, I don't think, completely restricting yourself of carbs, Brett. So, you know, if don't rely on blueberries to, to give you all your carbs <laughs> right. after a workout. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, you were, uh, Tommy, you were saying uh, just like a minute ago, you said fruit, and then I think you cut out for a second. You, uh Oh, I think I said fruit, uh, bananas, particularly sweet oh, potatoes. And sweet potatoes. Um, okay, yeah. But you know, okay. yeah, those would be parsnips and things like that are also good, but it's maybe not this the season for those. Right. At the moment. And carrots, lots of starch and carrots. So. Yeah, well, relatively, you have to eat a lot. Well, of relatively, carrots, right. my, my favorite fiber. one actually yeah. is the Japanese. Have you seen those Japanese sweet potatoes? They're uh -huh. like really, really dense and starchy. They're absolutely delicious. And if you put butter on them, it's basically dessert. They're really, really delicious. <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you about this. There's another top trick. You can like roast them in the oven. Like uh -huh. just don't, don't do them one at a time. Just roast, roast a whole tray of them in the oven. Right. And then just leave them there in the oven. Don't, you don't need to refrigerate them or anything. And, and um, they'll, they'll still be fine in like two days' time. And then you can just take one out of the oven as you need it. 
Okay. Or take all of them out. Like knock your firstborn child out the way as you get back from your bike ride. <laughs> pull open the oven and eat all of them within ten minutes. That's another <laughs> thing. Are you, are you speaking from experience? <laughs> I can do that. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've after doing some of the after getting my fueling back down. I was doing the whole thing where trying to raise my fueling uh, for long workouts because that's a thing, right? For pros, they they say. You know, keep raising the amount of fuel so that you can keep ingesting more and more and more in training. And I just found for, for me as a person, as an individual, I just, there was something I did not like about it. Like it just struck me as this is not healthy to keep trying to cram more and more. I felt like that goose. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I found that with the right level and to instead to listen to like, what's the right level of fueling that I need. And, um, and I think that's helped me a bunch. Uh, and then when I'm done working out, I'm actually not all that hungry anyway for a while, um, which I know is, you know, I shouldn't really be listening to that. I need to be carbs afterwards. But I can just feel my body on a nice hum of like, okay, we're in this mode right now of burning fat and uh, you could keep going if you needed to. Mm -hmm. That's a good sign, I think. If you get back from a workout and you're not ravenously hungry, I think that's probably a good sign that you're um, burning at least some fat during that workout, right? Yeah, and this is, you know, yeah. like a three and a half hour ride at, at uh, 230 something watts and um, eating maybe 200 and something calories per hour, like a low 200 calories per hour. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. But I think, I think, especially if that's, say, your first session of the day, I think that there's a real risk then that you really shut down your eating window and you don't, and then you, you again don't, don't eat enough. So even though it might be that, um, earlier on in the day, particularly between sessions, if you're doing two a days, then you almost need to force yourself to eat early, um, just or else you don't have enough time to eat enough throughout the day. And I think that that's part of the problem that you've been having. Yeah. Triathlon baffles me. It really does. Mountain bikers, we just go out and we have a nice ride. We might ride for three or four or five hours and, and then you go home and you just like do something else. You know, you don't try and go out and ride your bike or do, or lift weights or do something crazy like that in the same yeah. day. That's madness. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It is. It's. Uh, I think triathlon's gotten out of control with the amount of training and trying to fill in every gap, and uh, people just being competitive with the amount of hours, that, the volume that they train, and with social media and reading people's other people's training logs, you're looking at somebody's best day, you know, and then you try to replicate it all the time because they did right. five hours one day. Well, that was like. <laughs> That was a flash in the pan for somebody that that was like a, a great day for somebody that's got a really short career. <laughs> yeah. And then you try you to know, go out you, and do that. Yeah. You might enjoy um, the run on fat movie. Actually, I have a podcast and I, and I had, uh, had the producer on and, and it's a great movie actually. And it's got, um, I think his name's Sammy Hinkinen. He's like a really fast amateur. It's oh, I really know. All right. well, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. did. Um, he, he, I'm sure his training program is like 12 hours a week or something. Mm -hmm. And so he's high fat, low carb, and 12 hours a week. Right. And still does really, really well. Yeah. But the movie uh, itself is fantastic. It's got a ton of really great experts on it. He's the fastest um, guy, one age bracket below me. And I was digging through his blog and actually found a sample week of what he would do. And I started doing it, and I had immediate results from it. Just unbelievable. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's the guy that rode across the Pacific with his wife. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's what the movie's partly about. Yeah, Donovan O'Neill is the producer. <laughs> cool. Okay, so I guess we should wrap it up for today. And um, I'll be in touch um, 
with a whole bunch more questions and, and like how I'm progressing and what to do next. And um, how do people, I, I am sure you are going to get flooded even more than usual because we really went through this with a fine tooth comb. But, and, and this is just my results. And what do you think? How many different items are on this blood test? Like a hundred? Um, I don't know. We, we just uh, looked at things that stood out for me. And um, to have uh, you guys do this for somebody else, it, it's just amazing to, to get these tests. And, the, and taking the test was so easy. I just uh, scheduled an appointment on the internet and went to, a, in my little town, they had a lab. And uh, went and got the blood test done and they sent the results to you. And then in just a few days, you had the time to go through them. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a pretty straightforward process. You can order the test online mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you get sent a PDF requisition form and you just go to LabCorp. So if you're, if, even if you're not near a LabCorp, actually, they can send you a test kit, which is just a cardboard box with some files in it. And then you just take that to any place where they draw blood. Oh, and okay. uh, the, the, they do the blood draw and, and they take care of the rest, basically. And then the results come back to me electronically. And then I get someone on the phone or Skype like this. And we go through it all and think of some things that we could do to make the, make the, make the numbers better. But yeah, it's a pretty straightforward process. And um, yeah, my lab corp, I, I didn't even make an appointment. I just walked in and it was, I was in and out of there in, 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 in 10 seconds. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, super easy. And then the other tests I do that are um, even easier, actually, because you don't need to go to a lab at all. So it's saliva, urine, and stool testing. Right. And um, you, you do that collection at home and then send the samples in using a, a prepaid FedEx mailer. So that's, that's super straightforward as well. There's, there's, you don't really need to see anyone in person anymore. It's quite cool. Yeah, then my waiting room at my lab, I think they were also doing drug tests. So there were some nervous people in there. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm good. Let's go ahead and do this. All right, well, cool. Uh, you guys stay on the line, and um, let's go ahead and hang up with the audience here. Uh, see, you, see you later, everybody. And uh, thanks again to uh, Chris and Tommy. And uh, we'll talk more in here in just a second. Great. All right, guys, how was that? Pretty good? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's quite long. I, yeah. I, 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 listen, I like listening to a long ones, but I've noticed a lot, a lot of your podcasts are really long, aren't they? Yeah, but I put the good stuff in the front. <laughs> <laughs> I used to kind of mix in the interviews, whatever. And I'm like, no, let's put that right in the front. So we, we go right <laughs> into that. We go, you know, a little bit of triathlon news, like, uh, you know, this person wrecked on their bike and this person won this race and then bang right into the interview. So. Yeah, I'm interested, very interested to know how, what kind of response you get from it, like whether some people, I don't know whether I only speak to the people who are really interested in their health or whether there are more people out there and they just haven't realized they're really interested in their health yet, you know, or whether people yeah. are going to be really turned off about the idea, you know, listening to someone talk about fasting insulin. Oh, I think they are. My audience is um, people that are very introspective, so they want to listen to uh, intelligent people talk about what actually matters in life. And... Uh, this def this defines it right here. Um, I noticed one one thing we forgot to talk about was your vitamin D. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I realized yeah. that as well. Yeah, we can do that in the future whenever you know people. Okay. But I guess there's a lot. There's already a lot of information there. So yeah, yeah. So Chris, what do you want to do with me? Do you want? Should I take another test in so many months, or 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 what? What do I do? Yeah, I mean, um, if you're up for it, if you're like, if you want to do make the changes, like see, go grain and and do this experiment yeah then i'm i'm more than willing to provide the blood work at the end of it to see what changes you've made i'm in but i mean yeah it's it's predictable though i would say like um (laughs) especially the adrenal stress profile saliva tests you know sometimes like when people do them and they find out they've got low cortisol they're like okay i need to make some changes and 
And usually they make them and sometimes they don't. And they come back to me a year later and say, you know what? I still don't feel that good. Can you do that saliva test again? And we do it and it's no different. Like, right. you know, like if you, so if you haven't done the experiment, there's no point in doing the test at the end. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, we show I the same thing. I'm, you were but, talking um, about. If you have done the experiment and you have made some changes, then um, it's absolutely worth doing the test again to see what you've right. done. And I'm, the, the, you were talking about the motivational thing. I'm very much somebody that's motivated by hard numbers. Uh -huh. So and until I see a reason, like exactly how, like how something works, you know, which would be numbers, then right. I'm hard. I'm hard to uh, change because um, I'm like, well, it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be that. So I'm not going to make the effort to change um, until mm -hmm. I know why to change because change takes energy, and we could be wasting right. energy going down. The yeah. Wrong. So the tests are great. They're useful. I'll definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, we could be wasting energy going down the wrong path when, because there's yeah. so much stuff out there. Oh, you need to do this and, all you do, and you do it. And then you find out that doesn't mean anything, you know? And so hard numbers, like a test result are really motivating to me. Like, uh, um, uh, the thing that really works for me, for example, is wattage on the bike, right? The watts per kilogram. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why didn't I uh, beat right. this guy in a race? And they're like, well, look at his watts per kilogram. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, straightforward in triathlon. Yeah, you can't you want, do that on a mountain bike. It's like watts per kilo is like one leg of a stool. You know, like yeah, it's not the same. True. Whereas in triathlon, it really is. Like yeah. if you put out that many watts per kilo. And I'm, for, and I'm like, well, just do what it takes to increase your watts per kilogram, and then you'll be faster on the bike. And then I can actually, then I know what I'm doing, right? And then, uh, and then I can, and then when I when I have a path in front of me, I attack it. Like when I know what actually works, I'm so single focused when I know something can actually make a difference. So that's why this test is fantastic. Um, I feel but like pay attention to, yeah. um, you know, the qualitative stuff too, as well. Like, um, you know, how you feel throughout the course of the day. Like I think your digestion is probably pretty messed up mm -hmm. and, um, you'll notice an improvement in it when you remove all the grains, all the gluten completely. And um, you, you may not be aware of the change until it happens, if that makes sense. You know, it's like the kind of the symptoms were conspicuous in their absence. Right. And um, the, the yeah. thing I was worried about was, okay, if I pull grain out, where am I going to get carbs from and where am I going to get calories from? Because I've got this thing where I don't eat enough. But you explaining to me that, you know, what, what carbs I can eat. I can eat potatoes, sweet potatoes and bananas all day. I, that's fine. And I'm happy mm -hmm. with that. And then... Um, and then saying, you know, slather on the fat for your extra calories. I'm fine with that too. So to me, mm -hmm. it's not, you're not telling me anything that's difficult to do. I've, and I've already been right. doing it some. So I already kind of got that path starting to burn in, uh, a pathway uh, with me. So right. I just need to do it more. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I wouldn't still be doing this if it was difficult to execute. You know, if I was selling the vegan diet and, <sighs> and trying to make a money, you know, make money coaching people on a vegan diet, I, I just wouldn't still be doing it. And it's too right. hard. Yeah. Whereas, um, whereas this is, yeah, what's not to like about bacon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Is there anything else I need to know? I think so. Or are we done? Uh, so I would, I would be, if, if you're up for it, Brad, I'd be interested in you doing a, a 23 and me, which I think is just oh, yeah. is nine, is 99 bucks. Okay. Just to, because I wonder if long term it's worth keeping an eye on your iron status and see whether we need to do, if that, if you, you know, get your B12 in order either by, you know, sorting the diet out or eventually supplementing with it, and then your hemoglobin creeps up even more, your ferritin continues to creep up, then I think for your sort of long-term health and maybe even for your performance, it would be better if we try and 
try and address that. So I just I keep an eye on that, and a 23andMe will at least show you whether you're at risk of iron overload uh, and, genetically and uh, other things too, right? So yeah, so the, yeah, loads of stuff. Yeah, there should be there could be something in the B12 metabolism as well that, yeah. that's genetic. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, because um, I have a family history of uh, colon cancer, and um, I know that just from you know family stuff. So I'm I'm big into knowing what you could get and working proactively against it. Yeah, it's it's really easy to overinterpret that stuff, but I think it's a really nice. It it fits in if you're sort of looking at overall patterns and stuff. It, it, I think it fits in quite nicely. Awesome. And it's and it's cheap. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is cheap too. Okay, I'm in. All Great. Right. All right, guys. Cool. Well, Sounds like we got a plan much. then. Yeah, we got yeah. a plan. This is fun. Okay. All right. Talk to you <laughs> later. Cheers, yeah, guys. Cheers. cheers. Bye. Bye. All right, we're back. Okay, thank you so much, Chris and Tommy. Again, that interview is going to have is already having one of the biggest impacts in my training and giving me the permission to eat a little bit more and some of that being fat and just all kinds of interesting stuff going on in there. And yeah, already having some fantastic results. I've uh, been adding more running back into my training uh, because I removed a bunch of it uh, as a break from you know the really intense uh, Ironman training. But we do have an Ultraman coming up in October, and so I've slowly. Oh, I brought my training down to uh, a kind of a low level, and then I've been slowly adding stuff back in, and uh, my weekly time trials that I've been doing. Um, as I've been doing what they've been saying, and I've added more running back in, that uh, my time trial uh, times, uh, watts, have, uh, have stayed the same as I'm adding more load. So that's good. That's really, really cool. And I just did a three-hour bike ride this morning and had, for a training ride, I think probably the best results ever where I was um, mafetone, heart rates, you know, um, below below MAF, you know, 180 minus your, your age and average, but um, managed 21.3 miles per hour with a lot of wind and a lot of, uh, it was over 66 miles, I think, a lot of wind and my fuel was just right on, more hydration, just all kinds of cool stuff. And on that note, actually, I'm going to mention it uh, next episode, some new fueling that I'm doing. I posted a picture of it on Twitter. And uh, definitely uh, follow me on Twitter, Zen Triathlon on Twitter, because I'm constantly posting uh, pictures of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it uh, to help you guys out. And also, let's read off some support names right here. Uh, you can support the show, like I said, with uh, donations. And if you do, I read your name on the show. And some of these are uh, people that also got Hornet Juice. So I'll mention Hornet Juice in a second. So uh, let's see. Fazio sent in a donation. Uh, Allison Frutos, longtime donor. Uh, same with Todd Endicott, Peter Salzen, Matthew Froes, Alexander Bromage, Jessica Woodruff, Dan Machia or Machia, however he wants to say it. It's up to him. It's his last name. And Carrie Honing, M. Webb, Spiros Fetsis. 
<laughs> it's probably Spiros, and I'm just saying Spiros. Uh, Tyler Moyer and Dwayne Morin. Hey, Dwayne, what's up, dude? Uh, Joseph Rogalski, who I coach. Hey, man. And Daniel Stark and Ted Stephanie. And that's it for this episode. There's probably more in there that I have in the queue, and that's really cool. All right, what we're going to do is... Oh, we need to talk about horny juice for a second. So a supplement that I use that I love and has been a longtime sponsor of Zen and Yard of Triathlon is Hornet Juice. So it's an amino acid powder. So it's like a little protein powder that you add to your fuel. You could you could eat it anytime that you want, actually. But it works best by itself with no other protein. So if you've got a carb, uh, fuel, carb and fat, or whatever you want. Um, but anyway, you mix it in and it turns on your fat burning. And where they got this from was the Japanese killer hornet is the longest flying, heaviest insect on earth. And they're trying to figure out where in the world does it get the energy to carry its big fat body around (laughs) as far as it goes and uh, to have all this energy. And it's metabolizing its own body fat to do it. So they looked at the enzymes and the amino acids that that it uses to break down body fat so efficiently, and they replicated them in a lab and then packaged it up, and that's why it's called hornet juice. It's super, super cool, and when you add it to your food and uh, drink while you're doing a workout, you feel like a diesel engine. It's absolutely crazy how well it works. I absolutely love it, and it's actually not even that high calorie. It's like 80 calories, I believe, uh, per packet, and it lasts an hour and a half. So you're going to do a three-hour ride. You only need two packets, and I get so many purchases where people buy a 10, a little 10-pack from my website, and then they come back and order a 60. (laughs) They're like, holy crap, I just, I can't believe it, and I get so many emails of people like, this stuff is nuts. It's so good. So The cool thing is that if you get some from my website, first thing I do is I set the price just a little bit below um, the uh, suggested retail that Hornet Juice says. And then, because I feel like stuff's too expensive out there already. So I set it just a little bit below uh, suggested retail because I'm on your side and I'm trying to afford all this stuff too. And then when you get it... uh, a little bit of the money goes back to Zen and the Art of Triathlon and supports all the costs that this this thing, this podcast, this beast app, uh, makes. And you get something cool like awesome workouts and better fat metabolism. And I get something cool, which is your support. And then together, we both get something and it works out fantastically. And you get to show your friends your package that comes from New Zealand, which is neat. And this crazy powder that's in there that actually works. It is amazing. It's super, super cool. Okay, so that is Hornet Juice. Go check them out by going to my website and clicking on the link for Hornet Juice. It's on, let's see, what side is it on? Let's, let's walk you through this. And I got an email from Rudy Project, by the way, recently. They want to send some stuff for me to try out. And also Sea Sucker, which makes a suction cup roof racks, which is neat as well. I want to give them both a shout out. 
Uh, Rudy Project, I, we initially had some email conversations, and I haven't heard back uh, lately, so I'm wondering. I know they have people that work there that are fans of the show, so how are y'all doing up there in Colorado and uh, waiting to hear back? And yeah, the Hornet Juice link is on the right-hand side. You scroll down, it's on the right-hand side of the page. I need to move that up. Such a great sponsor. Love them. Okay, let's get started with the training log. I take you with me. Uh, usually after swims is where I have to drive somewhere and I have time to talk about what I've been doing, how things are working out. I did uh, some time trials. Uh, I got beat finally by none, no less than a dude on a road bike <laughs> while I'm on my billion-dollar triathlon time trial bike. I was like, I was so impressed. I was like, wow, man, that guy is awesome. And let's see, uh, there's that. I do a book review. I talk about uh, Kava Kava, which is some interesting stuff. And just, you know, nice little, nice little montage of what's been going on the past few weeks. I got an Xterra um, inflatable stand-up paddleboard, which tomorrow morning we're going to take back to the lake and talk about that a little bit. All around cool stuff. All right, everybody, let's uh, let's all hold hands and dive into the uh, training log together here. And here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah. I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. Alright, welcome to another training log. Stardate, Wednesday the 24th of June. Whew. Nice little swim, of course, and also a swim uh, thinking a lot about Jamie Patrick uh, swimming the long swim, uh, one of the islands of Bermuda. He's traversing 78 miles open water in the ocean with sharks and such, and it might become the longest documented uh, open water swim done by English Channel Rules. If he succeeds, and uh, they've already had drama, <laughs> he's about half a day into it by now, three quarters of a day. Uh, started. This is the kind of stuff that happens when you try to do big stuff, and when you try to do anything really, and uh, you have to just stay cool. Uh, they got the boat, the catamaran, all set up, support boat. You know, everything's going to be great. And then they went and got food, and they've been planning this for months. You know. And uh, the very last minute, when they uh, go and put <laughs> the supplies in the refrigerator of the boat, <laughs> open up the fridge that apparently nobody's opened up before, and it's full of rotten food and flies and all kinds of stuff. So there's a couple hours of downtime, of delay, while they try to clean that crap out. And it's uh, just, ugh. And then uh, at some point during the night, uh, one of the worst things that can happen uh, to your boat is a, they call it on a boat, they call it a sheet or a line. They don't they don't call it a rope, but we'll call it a rope. Um, apparently it was just dangling overboard and got tangled up in the propeller. 
of the uh, catamaran, this big ocean-going uh, boat. And I'm sure somebody had to go underwater and unwrap that mess, which is dangerous and, and uh, suboptimal, as Chrissy Wellington would say. And yeah, that's the, uh, the kind of crap that happens. And you can imagine when you start getting low on blood sugar and tired and you're in the water and your crew is fiddling with yet another uh, stupid thing that happens, how the uh, athlete can be like, hey, god damn it, get your shit together, people, come on, like that. And that's when stuff, you know, you start yelling at them, uh, they start yelling at you, and uh, other issues start popping up, and it's, things start getting ugly, and that's when things get really difficult. And you have to just remain cool and be cool. So anyway, I was swimming this morning and uh, thinking about all the challenges that that imposes. It is so much more than just the swim itself. The logistics and everything running as smoothly as possible is the underscored word, uh, as possible, uh, is the goal. It's really cool. So uh, that was nice swimming this morning thinking about him. Also listening to the Tioga Wellness, Tioga Wellness podcast talking about metabolic efficiency, which I uh, really, really like um, the topic and because I've been working on that a lot lately and we're covering on plenty of shows and there's a, um, if you don't eat enough carbs, then I was reading this article this research paper and if you don't eat enough carbs if you go too low carb then your body doesn't know what to do with carbs or with insulin because it's never getting any and it's it's very similar to uh, metabolic syndrome of having too much carbs because your body gets numb to all the insulin all the time and it doesn't know what to do with it anymore and it starts ignoring it and uh, if you're too high carb and if you're too low carb, then uh, when you do get insulin um, to work with carbs, your body doesn't isn't trained on what to do with that either, and it's horribly inefficient. And uh, then you get sick from uh, not having from taking carbs when you need the energy, but your body doesn't know what to do with them. Very interesting. I hadn't run across that before. That little bit of information, and it just goes to show that. I love using this word. There's a sweet spot of how much uh, carbs to use. And in the Tioga Wellness Podcast, they're talking about you got to listen to your body. And you can listen to your body all day, every day, and learn um, what is the right amount. And in Zen Buddhism, it's all about the middle path and the right, the right amount is uh, somewhere in the middle. No, no two extremes. Um, and American food, our set point of what's the middle is probably too high. Um, but then we overreact and try to go crazy with something and set it too low. And then you end up with all kinds of problems. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the other Zen thing is uh, pay attention. You know, wake up and pay attention as somebody walks in front of my car looking down at their phone and uh, 
and your body will tell you everything that you need to know. But uh, we're so distracted with uh, commercials and entertain me, entertain me, entertain me, validate me, entertain me, looking at other people's stuff on Facebook all the time, thinking about what other people think about me, then uh, uh, you can't focus on uh, what's actually going on with yourself. You can't hear yourself. And uh, that's a big point of meditation is to sit down and listen to what yourself is saying. And that's why they call it uh, uh, moving meditation. Your bikes and your runs and your swims is an awesome opportunity to turn everything off and be quiet and listen to what you're saying. Because when you turn everything off and listen to what you're saying, what your body's saying, what your mind's saying, those are the things that you need to take care of. Not liking somebody else's post about popsicles and uh, whatever they've eaten on uh, their Facebook page. It's what you're doing. It's really all there right in front of you. It's pretty cool stuff. All right. Well, I need to head inside and uh, go for a little bit of work where I do need to go listen to other people. All right, out, bang. All right, we are back. We are leaving the pool and in my wife's car, real manly in my little white Honda Civic with nursing stickers and uh, a pink 26.2 sticker on the back. And a, a real man can wear pink. What do I say? Anyway, I'm uh, <clears throat> Emily has to borrow my car today because it's got the bike rack on it, and she's taking Kai around and doing stuff. And real easy swim this morning. There's a really tough balance between going hard and going easy. I think that endurance sports you spend so much time doing it that the opportunity to go too hard is so prevalent. It's so everywhere with all that time that it happens much, much more uh, frequently. It has the opportunity to happen so much more than almost any other sport. And you have to proactively um, go easy and restrain yourself and cut back. So I've been doing a lot of hard interval stuff and um, like I've mentioned a million times, having been, having been overtrained before, um, which I kind of think, you know, to, to know how to do something, you have to do it wrong. They call that wisdom. <laughs> Mistakes are called experience. Experience is called wisdom. And a lot, I hear so many interviews with great coaches and great athletes, and it's more about what they've done wrong and now what they don't do uh, that shapes them today and makes them uh, worth listening to. And But you wouldn't know how bad something is for you until you've actually tried it. And... That's where you get a lot of people that are banging the pulpit on not to do something. Well, it's because they've done it. 
and they know that it's bad and they're trying to warn you. <laughs> it's a road to disaster. So uh, last night I wanted to go for a bike ride and then uh, I just didn't have the energy. And years ago I would be like, well, just force yourself to do it anyway. And then you continue a downhill uh, chaotic uh, tailspin. And uh, so last night I just went to bed. Went to bed at like 8 o'clock or something. And then uh, 8.30. Surfing the internet actually a little bit too much. I need to kind of get away from that. I've discovered Reddit. R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. Gosh, a few months ago. And I wish I never had. <laughs> Although I really enjoy it. They say there's two different kinds of people. There's Facebook people and Reddit people. And Facebook people um, get really into what uh, people they know are doing. And they find that interesting, right? Oh, the person uh, down the street, uh, their cat just had kittens. Oh, that's interesting, you know. It's been forever looking at that and how adorable. And then... The uh, <clears throat> my cousin just got married and here's their pictures you know all that's so interesting and then there's another type of person where I fall into this category that uh, people around you yeah like your Facebook friends stuff like that it's not really all that interesting you're not like stimulated by it you're more stimulated by the crazy story of a kitten that was born with one eyeball in the middle of its forehead. <laughs> Somebody's posted pictures of it online. You're like, whoa, holy crap. Or the person who climbed to the top of the Matterhorn of the Matterhorn in record time and ran back down. So the difference is these are people that you don't know, right? Because you couldn't possibly the, the things that you're interested in seeing are so much more extreme and uh, a one-off that there's no chance that the people in your close ring of friends are actually doing it. It's like one in a million people could actually do this thing and you're interested by that. So that's why uh, there's two different kinds of websites and uh, and there's probably more in between and stuff. But I found a, um, a subreddit. Reddit has a random button. It'll take you. So a subreddit is a category. So there's some really freaky categories out there. So be warned. But the uh, I was just thinking of one I saw the other night. Uh, there's many to stay away from. I mean, they're just absolutely obscene. But the uh, I found one on Zen and one on triathlon, and I posted in both. But I found the one on Zen just to be. Hold on, I'm scratching. I got chlorine itch. I found the one on Zen just to be. Just gibberish. There's this thing called the stink of Zen, and it's where you talk about Zen so much and everything that it just gets annoying, and you think you know everything, and you don't. And uh, people just kind of roll their eyes. So it'd be also like the stink of triathlon. You know, the triathlete they just can't stop talking about himself and triathlon and all that stuff. And people are uh, are not so one-dimensional. You know, we like depth. And things, and you want to. There's more to the world than just uh, Zen, and there's more to the world than just triathlon. 
or being food obsessed, which is another one uh, that irritates me. And the, <laughs> um, because I've been there and the back and forth on the Zen commentary on subjects on the Zen subreddit, I was just like, Bleh. you know, it's just people trying to outdo one another. It's so triathlon, actually. People trying to outdo one another with their smart little Zen saying and their their smart little uh, quote that um, you have to be overly into it, too into it, to even understand what they're talking about. It just gets lost, lost on you. So I was kind of like, nah. And so I, I made a comment. I said, this is perfect gibberish. <laughs> it got out. But uh, so I'm swimming this morning, back on track. And uh, swimming easy. Uh, Because, you know, like I said, last night, I was kind of like, you know, not really feeling into it. And that's a sign. If you're forcing yourself to go out for a run or sit on the bike for another workout, you you need a nap. And you need to skip training. It's just really hard to do because habit forming is so strong that... You've worked really hard to make the habit to work out, and you, you're tr- you've trained yourself to do it anyway. And so this morning I get to the pool and, and swam, just really really easy. And uh, the work is is the restraining, and uh, I I think that it's fine. Well, and, and there's people passing me. I've got uh, girls on either side of me um, swimming you know, with, uh, pool boys between their legs, you know, like going slow and, and, uh, both, both of them have really great form. So, but they're passing me, you know, and I have to let people pass me. And I'm like, there's that faint voice, you know, you're faster than them. I bet, you know, you're faster than them. <laughs> it's like, you have to say, no, that's okay. You know, uh, let them go. Uh, you need to go easier but uh, the, the area to explore a little bit is there's a point where you're going too easy because if you just go easy all the time, then you'll become one of these people that you see at the pool that is their turnover is so slow. It looks like they're fighting a sheet of tissue paper, you know, a wet tissue paper and trying not to hurt it or themselves. And you're like, man, you got to put more effort into it or else you're just wasting your time. And that's, that's where, um, that's where the struggle is because if you're going to go easy enough where it does, where the correct amount of easy, well then it's a lot more time. And then the lot more time becomes, um, a conflict with your time working out versus your time, uh, you know, you need to commit to your job and your family. And because, yeah, you can get awesome going easy all the time. Well, now you're talking, well, then to be awesome, you got to be uh, 20 hours a week. <laughs> it's like, who's got time for that? That 20 hours a week stuff, you know? Uh, for real, in the real world. And then also, you got to keep in perspective, well, what's awesome? You're looking at somebody you're judging yourself against somebody else's highlight reel is the problem. And, uh, you know, like, uh, Chrissy Wellington, you know, 
this t- amount of time and this speed. And it's like, well, um, she only did that like however many Ironmans and for however many years. And then she got out, you know, and those were her best performances at her best races. And <clears throat> you forget that uh, if you're even listening to this podcast, like how awesome you already are. One, you survived birth. One, you got lucky enough to be a sperm in an egg and you beat all the other sperms. And then you survived birth. And then you manage to get your shit together enough to get a job or somehow get a um, the resources together to get some sort of digital device to listen to podcasts and to be that your ancestors were smart enough to uh, get their crap together enough to um, move and flee and run and or stand their ground, whatever they did over and over and over again for generations to uh, be now in a place where you have the resources to um, to get something to listen to a uh, some guy talking about a sport that's you're trying to be great at a sport that shouldn't even really exist. The sport is just like silliness. Triathlon, you know, like it's a mix together of just uh, swim, bike, run. It does not exist in the real world. <laughs> So you're you're wanting to be better at something that shouldn't that doesn't even really exist and if you are doing it you're already awesome if you look in the grand scheme of things and incredibly lucky. So you're wanting to be better at being awesome when you're already awesome, you know? And you don't have to try that hard. So it's okay. It all, this all goes back. It's okay to go easier. It's it's all right. <laughs> And just relax a little bit and not be so focused on stuff and trying so hard. And uh, one of my favorite Zen sayings is, is if you, if you uh, grip too hard, you get rope burn, you know. And uh, it's like steering the steering wheel on a car. You hold it gently and uh, to turn it. If you grip it too hard, then your knuckles turn white. you got to relax. Relax just a little bit. Let go of the fear. And... Um, settle into things and just get going. All right, that's it. I'll be back in a moment. I got to go inside and I got to finish a banana. I've been restraining myself, speaking of restraining, from eating on the podcast because it drives so many people crazy. But um, for breakfast before my swim, I had a little bit of muesli and uh, with whole milk, regular cow's milk and a uh, watered down Gatorade during my swim. And then after I got out of the swim and got into the car, and before I started recording, I've got this huge banana, and I ate about half of it. And then um, I'll eat the other half when we get off the mic. And then it's breakfast day at work where people bring in breakfast. And I'm going to pick at that and kind of see what's there. And I've got guacamole in my refrigerator at work. So if it's eggs... I'm going to put some guacamole on there to up my calories, get a little bit of fat on there, and I think we'll be good. All right, be back in a minute. Bang. All right. Hello, everybody. We are leaving the pool, and I'm listening to an audiobook that I'm highly recommending. I know what to do, so why 
can't I do it or why don't I do it? Let me, well, if I open it up, it may mess up this recording. But anyways, I know what to do, so why don't I do it? And it, it's a nice and long audiobook, and it is a scientific and pragmatic perspective and neurological perspective on doing stuff, getting stuff done, and being productive, but also with uh, health and nutrition and how your body works. And it's written by, I believe, a neurologist. And it's an audiobook um, that's also on audible.com. And it is fantastic because the author also happens to be an endurance athlete. And he offhandedly, offhandedly mentions Ironman and ultra running. And he's a, he's a uh, competitive long-distance kayaker, which is really interesting stuff. Really, really cool. Highly recommend the book. I am loving it. 6% carbohydrate solution reduces cortisol in your system. Stuff like that. It is amazing. Anyway, I went to the pool and took a little bit of kava kava before my swim, which is a relaxing legal drug. You can just buy it in pills or whatever. Uh, you can just drink it. <clears throat> it's a ceremonial drink. It's a root. And the powdered root uh, is a ceremonial drink in the Pacific Islands. And if you overdose on it, it makes you see crazy stuff. Of course, that's the way it is with a lot of stuff. Uh, you can kill yourself with just water if you wanted to. Anyway, um, and knocked out 4,100 yards in an hour flat. And what I was doing was... And it was actually really mellow and relaxed, which is what Kava Kava will do to you. And K-A-V-A, K-A-V-A. And I've looked it up. It's legal. You can do it all you want. Um, and then the um, I was doing 10 minutes with the pool boy and 10 minutes without. 10 minutes with the pool boy and 10 minutes without. Like that. Just swap it real quick. And I made up a 6% carbohydrate solution which is pretty much Gatorade, uh, is what, is what that is. Um, and when it's diluted to, uh, and took a sip whenever, um, I felt uh, just the slightest bit hungry or anything like that. And what you're doing there, that's about 200 and if it's a quart, that would be about 250 calories, right? But because it's so diluted over a quart, your body can't absorb it very fast. Um, even though it's simple sugars. So it's just right. And um, it gives your brain nice, happy feelings because uh, you got stress reduced, even though you're doing something that's a little bit stressful because you're doing your workout. And it turns out that's about the exact amount of carbs that the body can absorb anyway. Um, Lionel Sanders did sweat testing recently. We're jumping subjects here. And he thought that he just didn't sweat that much during training. Turns out, it was just evaporating off of him and he loses 2.1 liters per hour sweating. And once he upped his hydration to compensate for that, then he got a whole lot better and started uh, performing at where he should. So think of that. Uh, Emily got a speeding ticket and called me on the phone <laughs> a while ago. And... Uh, I told her it was okay because the day that I get one, 
It's been a long time since I've gotten one. I want her to treat me the same way. So that's a nice do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And everybody needs a little bit of kindness every once in a while, especially if they're stressed out. There's no point stressing out about it. And let's say we had time trials the other night and I got, let's see, what did I get? Oh, I won. I won the time trials by like a minute, minute and a half. And what's interesting is um, even though my time varies per um, per race, uh, watts uh, is very, very predictable. And my uh, watts was 304 average for the 30 minutes, which is exactly one watt less than my best. So that's a rounding error right there. So no use getting really... Uh, the best I've done was a few weeks ago, I did 305 for a 30-minute time trial. Well, 12, 12K, I think, or 20K. Is it 20K, which is 12 miles? Anyway, it ends up being about 30 minutes at 24 and a half, 25 miles an hour, something like that. And, oh, it's like 90-something degrees, 95 degrees. It's boiling hot. It's crazy. And uh, the interesting thing about that is what's cool is it's something repeatable every week, right? And... I'm actually, because I have that one thing that's repeatable every week, I can see the impact of changing things. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I started upping my running and uh, last week's time trial was down a little bit. So I got smarter about how hard I was running and started running softer, a little bit more gentle. And now my watts are back up to where they were before with a little bit more running volume, which is nice. And that's how you do it. You need to be able to measure so that you can see the impact of things. And something repeatable and measurable is pretty cool. Um, let's see, something else happened that was pretty neat. Uh, took Kai, we got the Xterra paddleboard and uh, took that out. It's an inflatable paddleboard and they make a 10 foot, maybe 10 and a half, I think it's 10 foot. And they also make a 12 and a half foot. And the 12 and a half foot uh, paddles much, much faster and straighter than the um, 10 foot. So that was really, really cool. I'm hungry, so I need to, I need to drink something. We've got a red light up here. Hold on a second. And I really like this paddle board. So thank you, Xterra, for making a... They're, they're not the only brand. Uh, Laird Hamilton has one. Um... Uh, for making an inflatable paddleboard, and you get it half off if you wait around and look for ads. Eventually, it'll show up at least half off. So I got it for around seven, six hundred and fifty bucks or something like that. And the inflatable thing really works. It's nice, and it is plenty fast and plenty good. And uh, when we were done with it, we rolled it back up, put it back in the car, <laughs> and uh, let me make sure this is recording. Yeah, there we go. My phone is all jacked up lately. I've got the worst phone ever made by uh, Apple, it seems like. And the uh, deflated it and uh, rolled it up, put it in the car. Uh, no worrying about tying stuff down and all that crap. And, uh, oh, man, it's really, really cool. I highly recommend it. 
And uh, the only thing is uh, that I don't like, there's two things that I don't like, is you have to be a little bit careful that you don't run over something like rebar sticking up out or rocks out of the uh, bottom of wherever you're paddling. So I guess you would be a little bit concerned about that because it's an inflatable. And then uh, I'm really tall and I have a large wingspan on, on top of being tall. I have an extra couple inches there. And um, the paddle is just a little bit too short for me. But I'm at the uh, I'm at one end of the bell curve that most people aren't. So uh, for that <laughs> useless arm length, um, except it does come in handy swimming. I always surprise myself. Like I'm just loping along and uh, knock out really great yardage without uh, seemingly trying that hard. And it has a lot to do with build. Uh, some of us are better at better sports only by genetic uh, luck of the draw and uh, long arms really help with swimming I think but there's lots of people that swim way better than I do that have shorter arms so it's a mix of uh, long arms and also training because I think uh, Jody Swallow would absolutely destroy me and she's got short arms short little arms like a (laughs) T-Rex just kidding she's got fantastic arms and uh Let's see, I need to check the speed limit here. We've got uh, some sponsors we need to mention and talking about upcoming stuff. So, oh, I'm messing up my cruise control here. <clears throat> you can tell the Kava Kava is nice because I'm just nice and mellow. It's pretty cool. Um, sound probiotics. Very, very happy to have them on board. Rachel Joyce uses them and... Ben Hoffman uses them and uses it. And so it's just a pill that you take um, that has the food for the bacteria, healthy bacteria in your guts. And your guts, the bacteria in your guts, if you have the right ones, that is 70% of your immune system, at least. And it keeps you from getting sick. And I hardly ever, ever get sick and uh, because I'm always trying to make sure I eat healthy stuff. And this just tops it off for me. It's fantastic. Since I've started using them, I got sick for like uh, like an hour, <laughs> like a couple months ago. I was like, I think I'm sick. And I took the afternoon off from work. And a little while later, I was like, ah, I think it went away. <laughs> oh, they cover that in that book I was telling you about, about the importance of... of, uh, of Getting a, letting yourself get just the tiniest bit sick so your body's like familiar with it but then uh, you have uh, pre gosh preclinical uh, infections all the time where your body you know fights off stuff and, uh, and it never lets it get out of control so you never even know it's pretty neat so sound probiotics is so simple I keep it in my bathroom right next to uh, all my toothpaste and all that other stuff I get up in the morning and brush my teeth uh, after a workout, because you eat all that sugary junk, get all that stuff off my teeth, and then I pop a Sound Probiotics, super lightweight, super simple, super zen, which reminds me that it's discount code ZENTRI, Z-E-N-T-R-I, and you get 10% off your order, and it's so easy, and once you uh, get the groove of the habit going, you just uh, pop this, and you can hear it, the uh, bacteria cheer whenever you... Uh, pop one of these uh, sound probiotics. It's pretty neat. Woo! Okay. 
let's see, what else have we done? Yeah, we went to the lake, we did some swimming. Uh, been Oh, I got one last thing. I've been adding a little bit run, of run time to my running and I'm having a little bit of a problem that I'm trying to figure out before things get too bad. A little bit of plantar fasciitis. Uh, well, I used to get plantar fasciitis um, under the arch of my foot, like in the middle of my foot. And that's uh, not where this is happening. And so I was like, I was uh, getting pain in, under my heel when I wake up in the morning. And I thought I knew what plantar fa- fasciitis, you know, where it affects me. So I was like, man, I hope I don't have some kind of bone spurs growing on the underside of my heels or something. I have to get surgery to uh, get those knocked off. And everything I think about is how is this going to affect my Ultraman that I'm doing. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. So finally I Googled, after, you know, like two weeks, <laughs> of course, of symptoms, I Googled, uh, you know, pain under heel. Uh, and it's plantar fasciitis, actually. So um, that's a new place for me to get it. And we can talk about cures and all that other stuff, uh, some other show. But. Um, what I really want to talk about is what am I going to do? Uh, so what have I done and what's making it better? Once I, once I realized it was, uh, from running, probably you can also get it from cycling. Um, that also, and this was about, a about five days ago that I Googled it and saw it, what it was. I've had it really bad before, and I've been through the process of curing it. So I don't want to come across like I don't know, you know, how to cure it. You cure it by not running it, by not doing anything until the uh, tendon uh, uh, area heals up and quits being irritated. Um, you do not try to train through it, and uh, maybe it'll go away. <laughs> you need to change your behavior one way or the other. And uh, so what I did was like, oh, well, I'll scale back the effort a little bit maybe run a little bit more gently and see if that helps. And it has so far. So we'll keep tabs on it and kind of see uh, what it does and try to not let it um, impact things. Uh, And you start thinking about, well, what's new and what's different? So what's new and different is my cycling shoes. I've got newer cycling shoes. And the other thing that's new and different is... Uh, this long run every Saturday or Sunday that I'm doing that uh, I'm adding a few minutes each time and that could easily be doing it Um, because now I'm up to that's the last thing I wanted to talk about Uh, my long run I'm up to 2 hours and 20 minutes I think I think 2.20 and uh, just jogging along, whatever the pace is, it is like nine and a half minute mile. And, um, I'm really having a lot of fun doing that, by the way. That's pretty cool. And I think I'm going to stop for a while at two and a half, uh, hours. Uh, cause that would be where I would stop for Ironman training. Um, Ultraman's got me a little bit more concerned. You know, maybe I should knock it up to three I'll see. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, that's new, right? So this long run, two and a half hours. <sighs> I got to say, though, I'm. Uh, it's getting easier every run that I'm doing the long run 
the uh, the fatigue and the pain and, and whatever of it settling in, uh, it gets delayed further and further to now where it's not bothering me at all. Uh, just recently, the last run. And maybe that that's, could be another reason why it's getting better. Uh, you never really know. So I'm going to leave you with that. And also... Um, a uh, saying out of the book that the uh, author keeps uh, repeating is there's no such thing as incorrect data or data. <laughs> Depends on where you're from. Uh, we have this thing at work where if somebody says data, we correct them and say data. And if they say data, we correct them and say data. It's a it's an inside joke with me and a couple other coworkers. And then the person nods their, the person that you do it to, they'll nod their head and correct how they said it. And then the coworker and I just laugh and smile at each other. <laughs> you can totally get people change to change how they say it, you know, by telling them it's the opposite. And then when they say, well, how do you say it? You just shrug your shoulders and go, I don't know, <laughs> like that. It's kind of funny. Anyway, there's no such thing as incorrect data. There is only incorrect interpretation. So facts are facts. It's what you think the facts mean that are up for debate. It's pretty cool. Well, I should mention, we got Christine Lynch talking about nutrition with me on the next episode. Uh, We'll leave you with that. All right, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out.